Well, I'm not in my green screen room right now because instead of doing what I wanted to do, which was to make an episode where I rank black comic book movies for uh, Black History Month, instead, here I am about to react to Tucker Carlson interviewing Vladimir Putin. And I'm not in my green room, my green screen room, because it's a two hour long interview and I did not feel like sitting in my uncomfortable green screen room while I do this. And I will also be vaping during this. I don't, I don't indulge in nicotine. Uh, because Jesus, <clears throat> not that Jesus told me to, but because like, oh my God, I got to make it through this somehow. And I gotta. This might this might be two parter. This might be two parter. I might have to do this in two parts because, good lord, it's a two hour interview. Two hour interview. <sighs> Frankly, I think that Tucker Carlson might be a Russian asset at this point because he's just spreading Russian propaganda. However, we're just gonna go into it because two hours fucking long, and oh my god. That's a lot of time. I'm also going to skip the four-minute video and explaining why he's doing this because I, it's two hours long already. The following is an interview with the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, shot February 6, 2024, at about 7 p.m. in the building behind us, which is, of course, the Kremlin. The interview, as you will see if you watch it, is primarily about the... This is pretty wild that he's doing this right now in the middle of the Ukraine-Russian war. Especially considering that America, the country he is from, is allied with Ukraine. The war in progress, the war in Ukraine, how it started, what's happening, and most- Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna believe the guy from the KGB on, on why it's happening. Presently how it might end. One note before you watch. At the beginning of the interview, we asked the most obvious question, which is, why did you do this? Did you feel a threat, an imminent physical threat? And that's your justification. And the answer we got shocked us. Putin went on for a very long time, probably half an hour, about the history of Russia going back to the 8th century. I don't just get to it. Oh, my God. Why does every fucking person use history to justify their acts of evil? And... Honestly, we thought this was a filibustering technique and found it annoying and interrupted him several times. And he responded he was annoyed uh, by the interruption. But we concluded in the end. Why are you explaining this? W wouldn't we just see this in the interview? And for what it's worth, that it was not a filibustering technique. There was no time limit on the interview. We ended it after more than two hours. Instead, what you're about to see seemed to us sincere, whether you agree with it or not. Vladimir Putin believes that Russia has a history. Ted Bundy was capable of seeming very sincere. Historic claim to parts of Western Ukraine. So our opinion would be to view it in that light as a sincere expression of what he thinks. And with that, here it is. Mr. President, I feel like most of that was unnecessary. Like, what is he doing? What is he setting up? Like, why did he feel it was necessary to tell us that information before we went into this? Now, the fun thing for me is going to be whether or not Putin is speaking in English or is subtitled or they have a translator or something. I don't know. He's talking to Tucker Carlson, so I assume it'd be in English. And I assume that Vladimir Putin can speak English. 
you know, like for diplomatic reasons. Let's find out. President, thank you. On February 22nd, 2022, you addressed your country in a nationwide address when the conflict in Ukraine started. And you said that you were acting because you had come to the conclusion that the United States through NATO might initiate a quote, surprise attack on our country. And to American ears, that sounds paranoid. Tell us why you believe the United States might. Because it is. Um, there is no, until this, there was no real reason to have tension between Russia and America. Like, I don't know what Russia thinks is going on, but America for a very long time was like, Russia, whatever, fuck it. And now we're here. Might strike Russia out of the blue. How did you conclude that? Oh, it's not that America, the United oh, States, God. was going. Oh, thank God. They got a guy doing a voice. Okay. To launch a surprise strike on Russia. I didn't say that. Are we having a talk show or a serious conversation? <laughs> Here's the quote. <laughs> thank you. It's Tucker brought receipts. I'll give him that. It's a formidable <laughs> serious talk. Because your basic education is in history, as far as I understand. Yes. Mm -hmm. So he did research on Tucker before this moment. Classic KGB. If you don't mind, I will take only 30 seconds or one minute to give you a short reference to history for giving you a little historical background. Please. Wait, what about the receipts, Tucker? You were about to read him his quote, and then you didn't. What the? You you literally. What? <clears throat> Let's look where our relationship with Ukraine started from. Where did Ukraine come from? It is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. Where did America come from? Well, you see, a bunch of British people and the Dutch and some other Europeans like slowly colonized this one country over years of time and then. England owned a large portion of it, and France owned a portion, and Spain owned a portion. But of course, there were these people that lived there before us. But eventually, the all the people who were owned by Britain threw off Britain's tyranny, etc., etc., etc. It doesn't matter where Ukraine came from. It's a country now. The Russian state started gathering itself as a centralized statehood. And it is considered to be the year of the establishment of the Russian state in 862, when the townspeople of Novgorod invited a Varangian prince, Rurik, from Scandinavia to reign. In 1862, Russia celebrated the 1,000th anniversary of its statehood. And in Novgorod, there is a memorial dedicated to the 1,000th anniversary of the country. In 882, Rurik's successor, Prince Oleg, who was actually playing the role of regent at Rurik's younger son, because Rurik had died by that time, came to Kiev. He ousted two brothers who apparently had. Just want to comment. I think that's interesting that he pronounced it Kiev and the translator pronounced it Kiev. Once been members of Rurik's squad, 
So Russia began to develop with two centers of power, Kiev and Novgorod. The next very significant date in the history of Russia was 988. This was... So the thing I was saying earlier is that, like, if we are to accept, and don't worry, we'll hear the rest of what he has to say, and maybe my attitude towards it will change, but, like, generally speaking, if he is making the argument that I think he is making, like... The same argument could be used to justify the British reinvading America or Australia or wait, do they still technically is Canada still technically? How do they connect? Because they didn't I don't know, I'd have to look at it. But the point is is that this if if we're going to this type of history, we we could justify a lot of different invasions that wouldn't really benefit anybody. The baptism of Russia when Prince Vladimir, the great-grandson of Rurik, baptized Russia and adopted Orthodoxy, or Eastern Christianity. That's interesting, because this is about... he. You see, the thing is, is that uh, under Vladimir Putin, Russia has become a Christian nationalist country. So it's very interesting that he's bringing in the Orthodox Church, even though, you know, like under certain other communist leaders, the uh, Christianity was frowned upon. From this time, the centralized Russian state began to strengthen. Why? Because of the single territory, integrated economic ties, one and the same language and, after the baptism of Russia, the same faith and rule of the prince. The okay. So he's making an argument for nationalism, like united nationalism of these of these areas. Yeah, let's see where he's going. Centralized Russian state began to take shape. Back in the Middle Ages, he worships the state. The state. Prince Yaroslav the Wise introduced the order of succession to a throne. But after he passed away, it became complicated for various reasons. It's interesting, he's reaching back to like pre-communist stuff. So, will he even... He was in the KGB, but I do not know if he is actually a communist. The throne was passed not directly from father to eldest son, but from the prince, who had passed away to his brother, then to his sons in different lines. All this led to the fragmentation and the end of Rus as a single state. There was nothing special about it. The same was happening then in Europe. Just a comment. He said this would take 30 seconds to a minute, and we, I believe we are rapidly either closing in on a minute or have already passed it. But the fragmented Russian state became an easy prey to the empire created earlier. So the question is, what is Tucker... I, I, I'm curious what Tucker Carlson is reacting to here, because it's clear that Putin has like a translator thing in his ear where someone is feeding him Tucker's question. I don't think... Does Tucker know Russian? That would be super weird wouldn't it like it's hilarious the good faith that like conservative conspiracy theorists will give people like tucker carlson that they wouldn't be suspicious because like if he was a liberal they'd immediately be like how does tucker know russian <gasps> russian agent like uh, baking is hot 
His successors, namely Batuhan, came to Rus, plundered and ruined nearly all the cities. The southern part, including Kiev, by the way, and some other cities simply lost independence, while northern cities preserved some of their sovereignty. They had to pay tribute to the horde, but they managed to preserve some part of their sovereignty. And then a unified Russian state began to take shape with its center in Moscow. The southern part of Russian lands, including Kiev, began to gradually gravitate towards another magnet, the center that was emerging in Europe. This was the Grand Duchy of Lithuania. It was even called the Lithuanian Russian Duchy, because Russians were a significant part of this population. They spoke the old Russian language and were orthodox. But then there was a unification, the union of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania and the Kingdom of Poland. A few years later, another union was signed, but this time already in the religious sphere. Some of the Orthodox priests became... Please note how much he is deferring to religion. The Russians are not the communists America once feared, but they are still America's enemy. You see, this is the thing, is that it doesn't really matter what their political beliefs are. The things that Russia believes about America are ridiculous. Some of them are ridiculous. Russia, at numerous times and points, has been caught spreading misinformation about America, specifically on Russia Today. <clears throat> Russia Today, I saw this, I actually saw this video. Russia Today tried to play off uh, footage of essentially training exercises as essentially the preparing for false flag operations and shootings. It's not, it's not how, I'm sorry, I don't believe in crisis actors. You can, we can talk about a lot of different types of conspiracy theories, but anytime someone brings up crisis actors, my first thought is, that wouldn't work. Crisis acting is a dumb idea, like from start to finish. Like all those people would have to end up in body bags eventually, you know? Like, because the, the more people involved in a conspiracy, the more people there are to tell the truth. Subordinate to the Pope. Thus, these lands became part of the Polish-Lithuanian state. During decades, the Poles were engaged in Polonization of this part of the population. They introduced their language there, tried to entrench the idea that this population was not exactly Russians, that because they lived on the fringe, they were Ukrainians. Originally, the word Ukrainian meant that a person was living on the outskirts of the state, along the fringes, or was engaged in a border patrol service. It did. So wait, are you, is he implying that essentially Europe has always been trying to lure Ukraine away from Russia and towards Europe? I'm, I don't know, Putin, this sounds like it could be an argument for Ukrainians not being Russian. Also, what is Russian, you know? Like, just the name of your country, man didn't mean any particular ethnic group. So the Poles were trying to, in every possible way, to polonize this part of the Russian lands and actually treat it.
okay, just so we all just so we're all on the same page, the thing Putin said is questionable. Colonize implies that you move your people there and start taking the resources of that place. Becoming joining another country or a a, civil, a society willingly joining another country is not technically colonization. That is a form of alliance. Colonization is when you force, colonization is when you forcibly do it against the population's will, where their say does not matter. So what he's describing has not actually reached colonization yet. Did it rather harshly, not to say cruelly. All that led to the fact that this part of the Russian lands began to struggle for their rights. They wrote letters to Warsaw demanding that their rights be observed and people be commissioned here, including to Kiev. I beg your pardon, can you tell us what period, I'm losing track of where in history we are. I don't know how Putin is, I, I don't know what, like what kind of editing trickery are they doing that, like does he speak Russian? It's weird. Um, but also just based on what Putin has already said, like, like he's, he's talking about Ukrainians fighting for their rights. Like that is a net societal negative. That does, that's wild. The, the, the Polish oppression of Ukraine. It was in the third. Tucker, why did you just call it the Polish? Wait, hold on, hold on. Is Putin just explaining this badly? It did. I would have to look it up, but did Poland invade Ukraine? Because like he didn't use those words. And he just said oppression of Ukraine. Because like Putin, the way he was describing it made me think that like they were just trying to lure them like through commerce and like communication, the, the way that most of Europe made their allyships. Did they invade? Did, they, did Poland invade Ukraine? Because nothing he said made me think that's what had happened. What do we mean the oppression of Ukraine by Poland? 13th century. Now I will tell you what happened later. Oh, weird. Is there just a delay on the translation or did they not translate that part? You know, Russian, please feel free to leave an answer and give the date so that there is no confusion. Oh my God, we're going to keep talking about this. And in 1654, even a bit earlier, the people... We are well over a minute. Well, well over a minute, Putin, you lion. People who were in control of the authority over that part of the Russian lands addressed Warsaw, I repeat, demanding... Oh wait, my point earlier was, is he saying that they were asking for their rights to be protected from Poland or their rights to be protected from Russia? That was the question I was asking because that's the part I, I'm confused on what he's saying there exactly. That they sent them to rulers of Russian origin and Orthodox faith. When Warsaw did not answer them and in fact rejected their demands, they turned to Moscow so that Moscow took them away. So that you don't... Wait, so that Moscow took them away? Wait, so did Moscow take away their rights? ...thing that I'm inventing things. 
I'll give you these documents. Well, I, I, it doesn't sound like you're inventing it. I'm, I'm not sure. They could make those documents. I don't know what those documents are, but I don't trust the KGB. Or why it's relevant to what happened two years ago. But still, these are documents from the archives. Uh, just for clarification, I'm aware that he is not currently in the KGB, but that is how he gained power, was by coming up the ranks in the KGB. Copies. Uh, I don't think the KGB currently exists. Or do they? I don't know. Here are the letters from Bogdan Khmelnytsky, the man who then controlled the power in this part of the Russian lands that is now called Ukraine. He wrote to Warsaw demanding that their rights be upheld. And after being refused, he began to write letters to Moscow, asking to take them under the strong hand of the Moscow Tsar. There are copies of these documents. I will leave them for your good memory. There is a translation into Russian, you can translate it into English later. Russia would not agree to admit them straight away, assuming that the war with Poland would start. Okay, so I'm going to assume that for whatever reason, he just poorly, poorly described Poland invading Ukraine. I don't know if he's, if like, that's just questionable use of language or maybe a translation issue. But the nature of what he was describing was not clear to me. I apologize. It, I'm still at 100%. Nevertheless, in 1654, the Pan-Russian Assembly of top clergy and landowners headed by the Tsar, which was the representative body of the power of the old Russian state, decided to include a part of the old Russian lands into Moscow Kingdom. As expected, the war with Poland began. It lasted 13 years and then in 1654 a truce was concluded. And 32 years later, I think, a peace treaty with Poland, which they called Eternal Peace, was signed. And these lands, the whole left bank of Dnieper, including Kiev, went to Russia. And the whole right bank of Dnieper remained in Poland. Under the rule of Katharina the Great, Russia... Okay, wow. He described that very confusingly. I don't know if it was on purpose or just a Russian to English translation thing. But yes, there was a, a war between Poland and Russia. Uh, and it sounds like it had to do with the dissolution of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire and the Ukrainian and Poland claims to it. The origin of the conflict lie in the complex nationality situation in Gallic, Gallic? Galicia at the turn of the 20th century as a result of the House Habsburg's relative leniency towards national minorities, Austria Austria-Hungary was the perfect ground for the development of both Polish and Ukrainian national movements. During the 1848 revolution, the Austrians, concerned by Polish demands for greater autonomy within the province, gave support to a small group of Ruthenians, the name of the East Slavic people that will later adopt the self-identification of Ukrainians. Their goal is to be recognized as a distinct nationality. Interesting. He is describing this conflict very very interestingly there's a lot here so i'm not going to read it all but like 
Interesting. Russia reclaimed <coughs> all of its historical lands, including in the south and west. This all lasted until the revolution. Before World War I, Austrian general staff relied on the ideas of Ukrainianization and started actively promoting the ideas of Ukraine and the Ukrainianization. Their motive was obvious. Just before World War I, they wanted to weaken the potential enemy and secure themselves favorable conditions in the border area. So the idea which had emerged in Poland that people residing in that territory were allegedly not really Russians, but rather belonged to a special ethnic group, Ukrainians, started being... Oh, I see now. I see. His goal is to make it so Ukrainians... He can't describe the war the, war the way it happened because it was over the definition of Ukrainian. So he has to describe it like this. He can mention that the Polish wanted to Polonize, uh, that's the word Wikipedia used, uh, the Ukrainians, but he can't acknowledge the fact that the war was over their desire to be a distinctive ethnic group, because then he would be acknowledging them as in a distinctive ethnic group. Okay, okay, it's starting to make some sense now. Why, he, why he's doing this and why he's talking about it. By the way, the, the Ukrainian was a, was a name they came up with during that time period, apparently. Um, they were originally called... Oh, wait, you heard me read that part. Yeah. No. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That's what, that's what he's doing. He's trying to hide that... He's trying to hide that that conflict is about their, their ethnic identity. And that the rights to, and that the rights that they're requesting are are the rights to be recognized as Ukrainian. Oh my God, that's fascinating. Being propagated by the Austrian general staff. As far back as the 19th century, theorists calling for Ukrainian independence appeared. All those, however, claimed that Ukraine should have a very good relationship with Russia. They insisted on that. After the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks sought to restore the statehood and the civil war began, including the hostilities with Poland. In 1921, peace with Poland was proclaimed, and under that treaty, the right bank of Dnieper River once again was given back to Poland. In 1939, after Poland cooperated with Hitler, it did collaborate with Hitler, you know, Hitler offered Poland peace and a treaty of friendship and alliance demanding so the other thing he's doing here that is kind of alarming on a oh god i hope world war three doesn't happen level is that he's actively demonizing the polish like he's actively pointing to them as historical enemies uh so that's that's uh a worrisome thing in return that Poland give back to Germany the so-called Danzig Corridor, which connected the bulk of Germany with East Prussia and Königsberg. 
с Кёнигсбергом и After World War I, this territory was transferred to Poland, and instead of Danzig, a city of Dansk emerged. Hitler asked them to give it amicably, but they refused. Of course. Still, they collaborated with Hitler and engaged together in... I don't know a lot about this specific piece of history, but I will say that it's interesting because ultimately Poland was the first country that Germany invaded. And technically at this point, no one knew how bad of a guy Hitler was. Just for context, these are things worth noting. The partitioning of Czechoslovakia. But may I ask you, you're making the case that, that Ukraine, certainly parts of Ukraine, Eastern Ukraine is in, in effect Russia has been for hundreds of years, why wouldn't you just take it when you became president 24 years ago? You have nuclear weapons, they don't. If it's actually your land, why did you wait so long? Sure. Wow, okay, interesting question. Uh, I don't know what that's, I don't know what if that question says more about Tucker or what Tucker thinks about Vladimir Putin. I'll tell you. I'm coming to that. This briefing is coming to an end. It might be boring. He has been talking about history for a long time. But it explains many things. You just don't know how it's relevant. Because it's not. Good. Good. I'm so gratified that you appreciate that. Thank you. So, before World War II, Poland collaborated with Hitler, and although it did not yield to Hitler's demands, it still participated in the partitioning of Czechoslovakia together with Hitler, as the Poles had not given the Danzig Corridor to Germany and went too far, pushing Hitler to start World War II by attacking them. Why was it Poland against whom the war I don't know if he meant to do that, but it, it really sounds like he's, he blamed Poland for Hitler attacking Poland. ...started on 1st September 1939. Poland turned out to be uncompromising and Hitler had nothing to do but start implementing his plans with Poland. By the way, the USSR... No, that was what he was doing. I... I... I thought I... It, nope. Yep. I have read some archive documents, behaved very honestly. It asked Poland's permission to transit its troops through the Polish territory to help Czechoslovakia. But the then Polish foreign minister said that if the Soviet plans flew over Poland, they would be downed over the territory of Poland. <coughs> but that doesn't matter. What matters is that the war began, and Poland fell prey to the policies it had pursued against Czechoslovakia, as under the well-known Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. Part of the territory, including Western Ukraine, was to be given to Russia. Thus, Russia, which was then named as USSR, regained its historical lands. After the victory in the Great Patriotic War, as we call World War II, all those territories were ultimately enshrined as belonging to Russia, to the USSR. As for Poland, it was... Okay, yeah, you're describing how the communists took over everything. Yeah, okay. I shouldn't call them communists. The USSR.
received apparently in compensation the lands which had originally been German. The eastern parts of Germany, these are now western lands of Poland. Of course, Poland regained access to the Baltic Sea and Danzig, which was once again given its Polish name. So this was how this situation developed. In 1922, when the USSR was being established, the Bolsheviks started building the USSR and established the Soviet Ukraine, which had never existed before. Right. Stalin insisted that those republics be included in the USSR as autonomous entities. For some inexplicable reason, Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, insisted that they be entitled to withdraw from the USSR. Oh my God. He's like, that's like, that's, that's like, so like he is, he is going against, that's like it's someone in America, like a hardcore Republican just suddenly started going directly against like the founding fathers that's interesting like no yeah i know lenin was wrong ukraine shouldn't have been able to claim its own independence it was, it was wrong lenin was wrong he said it not me i i'm not a supporter of lenin although he wasn't as although he was probably not as although he was probably better than stalin Nadilil. <clears throat> and again, for some unknown reasons, he transferred to that newly established Soviet Republic of Ukraine some of the lands together with people living there, even though those lands had never been called Ukraine. And yet, they were made part of that Soviet Republic of Ukraine. Those lands in These types of things happen throughout history a lot. Borders move and shift. And I guess his argument is that those people didn't get to choose included the Black Sea region, which was received under Catherine the Great, and which had no historical connection with Ukraine whatsoever. Even if we go as far back as 1654, when these lands returned... Like, the, the problem is that these arguments could be used by other imperialist states to do pretty fucked up things. Like, do you want Spain to suddenly take over, like the country of Spain to suddenly be like, by the way, you know, historically, huge portions of Central America belong to us. Like, because that same argument could be made there based on what he's saying. Or, or Britain could take America. It's like, you know, a lot of you were originally created by britain and a lot of us the citizens there were people we sent there because they were criminals and it's like, ah, this argument is bad the russian empire that territory was the size of three to four regions of modern ukraine with no black sea region that this is like if france was suddenly like we would lack louisiana back tried to go French, but the second you started to say Louisiana with French accent, it becomes Louisiana. I, I, I have no explanation for that. Uh, but uh, yes, what he is describing now is if 
France suddenly wanted back Louisiana. That was completely out of the question. In 1654. Exactly. Well, I'm just, I, you obviously have encyclopedic knowledge of this region, but why? Or at least I assume that's the argument that he is making. I don't know if he's actually come to a conclusion yet. Why didn't you make this case for the first 22 years as president that Ukraine wasn't a real country? You know what, that is fair. The Soviet Union was given a great deal of territory that had never I'm going to assume there's a delay. ...belonged to it, including the Black Sea region. Is that guy, like, just off camera? He doesn't, like, the audio sounds like it was recorded later, but, like, is there a guy off camera explaining these things to Tucker? At some point, when Russia received them as an outcome of the Russo-Turkish Wars, they were called New Russia or Novorossiya. But that does not matter. What matters is that Lenin, the founder of the Soviet state, established Ukraine that way. For decades, the Ukrainian Soviet Republic developed as part of the USSR. And for unknown reasons, again, the Bolsheviks were engaged in Ukrainianization. It was not merely because the Soviet leadership was composed to a great extent of those originating from Ukraine. Rather, it was explained by the general policy of indigenization pursued by the Soviet Union. Same things were done in other Soviet republics. This involved promoting national languages and national cultures, which is not a bad in principle. That is how the Soviet Ukraine was created. After the World War II, Ukraine received, in addition to the lands that had belonged to Poland before the war, part of the lands that had previously belonged to Hungary and Romania. So Romania and Hungary had some of their lands taken away and given to the Soviet Ukraine, and they still remain part of Ukraine. So in this sense, we have every... Tucker genuinely, the look on Tucker's face sounds like he genuinely isn't sure where this is going. Every reason to affirm that Ukraine is an artificial state that was shaped at Stalin's will. Do you believe Hungary has a right to take... All states are made that way. All states are made that way. Like, at some point, somebody draws up borders and someone's like, this is all my land, that's all your land. A lot of times they fight about it. Like, what do you mean it's an artificial state? Are you saying it's an artificial state because it was made from, like, the top down, which is only kind of what happened? Because, like, once again, he can't acknowledge what that Polish-Ukrainian war was actually about. Take its land back from you. Because they were, Lenin gave them their national, gave them their autonomy because the rights they specifically were asking for were to be recognized as an ethnicity. Holy shit. Ukraine, and that other nations have a right to go back to their 1654 <clears throat> borders? I'm not sure whether they should go back to the 1654 borders. But given Stalin's time, so-called Stalin's regime, which, as many claim, saw numerous violations of human rights and violations of the rights of other states,
если не говорить о том, что они имеют на это право. One may say that they could claim back those lands of theirs while having no right to do that. It is at least understandable. Have you told Viktor Orban that he can have part of Ukraine? Никогда не говорил. Never. I have never told him. Not a single time. У нас с ним даже на этот счет не было никаких разговоров. Okay, you could have just said no to that question. Good question, though, Tucker. We have not even had any conversation. Oh, I just gave props to Tucker Carlson for something. ...on that, but I actually know for sure that Hungarians who live there wanted to get back to their historical land. Moreover, I would like to share a very... That makes it sound like you have talked to Viktor Orban. Right now, you're justifying the concept of giving Ukraine some of the land. I mean, you're not Ukraine. You're justifying giving some of Ukraine to Viktor Orban. <laughs> that's, that's what you're doing. Very interesting story with you. I digress. It's a personal one. Somewhere in the early 80s, I went on a road trip in a car from then Leningrad across the Soviet Union through Kiev. Made a stop in Kiev and then went to western Ukraine. I went to the town of Beregovoye. And all the names of towns and villages there were in Russian and in the language I did not understand, in Hungarian, in Russian and in Hungarian. Not and in America we have Chinatown. What do you want? Then Ukraine. Cleveland also has the Slavic area. Ukrainian, in Russian and in Hungarian. I was driving through some kind of village and there were men sitting next to the houses and they were wearing black three-piece suits and black cylinder hats. I asked, are they some kind of entertainers? I was told, no, they were not entertainers, they're Hungarians. I said, what are they doing here? What do you mean? This is their land, they live here. This was during the Soviet time in the 1980s. They preserved the Hungarian language, Hungarian names, and all their national costumes. They are Hungarians and they feel themselves. What you're describing is, is, is ethnicities living in another country. There's nothing weird about that. It, it literally occurs in all countries. But you're, but he's trying to make it sound like a reason like why, hung, why Hungary should get part of Ukraine to be Hungarians. And of course, when now there is an infringement. Well, that, that is, and there's a lot of that though. I think many nations are upset about Transylvania as well as you obviously know. But many nations feel frustrated by the redrawn borders of the wars of the 20th century and wars going back a thousand years, the ones that you mentioned. But the fact is that you didn't make this case in public until two years ago, February. And in the case that you made, which I read today, you, you explain at great length that you felt a physical threat from the West in NATO, including potentially a nuclear threat, and that's what got you to move. Is that a fair characterization of what you said? I understand that my long speeches probably fall outside of the genre of the interview. That is why I asked you at the beginning, 
are we going to have a serious talk or a show? You said a serious talk. So bear with me, please. We're coming to the point where the Soviet Ukraine was established. Then, in 1991, the Soviet Union collapsed. And everything that Russia had generously bestowed on Ukraine was dragged away by the latter. I'm coming to a very important point of today's agenda. Thank you. After all, the collapse of the Soviet Union was effectively initiated by the Russian leadership. I do not understand what the Russian leadership was guided by at the time, but I suspect there were several reasons to think everything would be fine. First, I think that then Russian leadership believed that the fundamentals of the relationship between Russia and Ukraine were, in fact, a common language. More than 90% of the population there spoke Russian. Family ties, every third person. And the majority of Americans spoke English, but we still fought the English person there had some kind of family or friendship ties, common culture, common history, finally, common faith, coexistence with a single state for What he's describing is a society based on conformity, typical right-wing talking, because anyone who worships the state demands some level of conformity. Most people on the right want conformity. That is what Christian nationalists want, conformity to Christian nationalism. That's why they make a big deal about people who aren't normal. Centuries and deeply interconnected economies. All of these were so fundamental. All these elements together make our good relationships inevitable. The second point is a very important one. I want you, as an American citizen, and your viewers to hear about this as well. The former Russian leadership assumed that the Soviet Union had ceased to exist, and therefore there were no longer any ideological dividing lines. Russia even agreed voluntarily and proactively to the collapse of the Soviet Union and believed that this would be understood by the so-called civilized West as an invitation for cooperation and associateship. That is what Russia was expecting, both from the United States and the so-called collective West as a whole. There were smart people, including in Germany, Egon Barr, a major politician of the Social Democratic Party, who insisted in his personal conversations with the Soviet leadership on the brink of the collapse of the Soviet Union, that a new security system should be established in Europe. Help should be given to unify Germany, but a new system should be also established to include the United States, Canada, Russia and other Central European countries. Yes. But NATO needs not to expand. That's what he said. If NATO expands, everything would be just the same as during the Cold War, only closer. It's not necessarily true, though. The idea that NATO's purpose couldn't change over time seems questionable. Also, like, your actions also technically justify the existence of NATO, because 
it seems like you're not cool with other countries wanting to be friends with other countries to Russia's borders. That's all. He was a wise old man, but no one listened to him. In fact, he got angry once. If, he said, you don't listen to me, I'm never setting my foot in Moscow once again. Everything happened just as he had said. Wait, wait. was it the Russians who didn't listen to him? Why wouldn't he step back in Russia? Well, it, of course, it did come true, and I and you've mentioned this many times. I think it's a fair point, and many in America thought yeah. that relations between <clears throat> Russia and the United States would be fine with the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. I mean, they seemed fine for a while. That the opposite happened, but you've never explained why you think that happened, except to say that the West fears a strong. Like, like they may not have been great, but they were better than during the Cold War. Russia, but we have a strong China the West does not seem very afraid of. Uh, what about Russia do you think convinced policymakers they had to take it down? Okay. The West is afraid of strong China more than it fears a strong Russia. Because Russia has 150 million people and China has 1.5 billion population and its economy is growing by leaps and bounds, or 5% a year. It used to be even more. But so his answer is because America is afraid of China is why they want to be friends with China. Now, this does conveniently leave out the history of America and China, where America allied with a weak China against Russia because Russia was giving China shit. But that's enough for China. As Bismarck once put it, potentials are the most important. China's potential is enormous. It is the biggest economy in the world today in terms of purchasing power parity and the size of the economy. It has already overtaken the United States quite a long time ago, and it is growing at a rapid clip. Let's not talk about who is afraid of whom, let's not reason in such terms. And let's get into the fact that after 1991, when Russia expected that it would be welcomed into the brotherly family of civilized nations, nothing like this happened. You tricked us. I don't mean you personally when I say you. Of course, I'm talking about the United States. The promise was that NATO would not expand eastward. But it happened five times. There were five... We are not the entirety of NATO. Just to point that out. America is not the entirety of NATO. In fact, arguably, NATO probably... I would have to look into it. But I would assume Europe has more to do with NATO existing than America waves of expansion. We tolerated all that. We were trying to persuade them. We were saying, please don't. We are as bourgeois now as you are. We are a market economy and there is no communist party power. Let's negotiate. Moreover, I have also said this publicly before. There was a moment when a certain rift started growing between us. Before that, Yeltsin came to the United States. Remember, he spoke in Congress and said the good words. God bless America. Everything he said were signals. Let us in. 
Remember the developments in Yugoslavia before the Yeltsin was lavished with praise? As soon as the developments in Yugoslavia started, he raised his voice in support of Serbs, and we couldn't but raise our voices for Serbs in their defense. I understand that there were complex processes underway there. I do. But Russia could not help raising its voice in support of Serbs, because Serbs are also a special and close-to-us nation, with orthodox culture and so on. It's a nation that has suffered so much for generations. Well, regardless, what is important is that Yeltsin expressed his support. What did the United States do? In violation of international law and the UN Charter, it started bombing Belgrade. It was the United States that led the genie out of the bottle. Okay, I see what he's saying. What he's saying is true, but it's also, he's, he's framing, it, framing it disingenuously. So, like, essentially what happened was there was a conflict in Serbia, and this created a lot of political, like, tensions once again for different countries. And now the problem is, is that he's painting that event as Russia not being welcomed in. But, like, the reality is, is that what happened was, is that we did welcome Russia in, but then we came into a political conflict with each other over this one other country and because it was violence related you know kind of ruins the party regardless of how welcome somebody is at the party moreover when russia protested and expressed its resentment what was said the un charter and international law have become obsolete now everyone invokes international law has rarely enforced by the way people if you like it's yeah rarely international law is pretty pretty weak actually international law but at that time they started saying that everything was outdated everything had to be changed indeed some things need to be changed as the balance of power has changed it's true but not in this manner Yeltsin was immediately dragged through the mud accused of alcoholism of understanding nothing, of knowing nothing. He understood everything, I assure you. Well, I became president in 2000. I thought, okay, the Yugoslav issue is over, but we should try to restore relations. Let's reopen the door that Russia had tried to go through. And moreover, I said it publicly, I can reiterate. At a meeting here in the Kremlin with the outgoing president Bill Clinton, right here in the next room i said to him i asked him bill do you think if russia asked to join nato do you think it would happen suddenly he said you know it's interesting i think so but in the evening when we met for dinner he said you know i've talked to my team no no it's not possible now that is interesting I mean, because it, I mean, like if Russia joined NATO, it does seem like that would clear up the conflict, right? I don't know. I don't 100% support NATO. I still don't think his argument is solid as a reason to invade Ukraine. You can ask him. I think he will watch our interview. He'll confirm it. I wouldn't have said anything like that if it hadn't happened. Okay. Were you well, sincere? It's impossible now. Would you have joined NATO? Look, 
I asked the question, is it possible or not? And the answer I got was no. If I Although to be fair, you only got it from one guy in in NATO. Like um, once again, America is not all of NATO. I was insincere in my desire to find out what the leadership position was. But if he had said yes, would you have joined NATO? I mean, that's kind of a dumb way to frame the question, but also fair. If he had said yes, the process of rapprochement would have commenced, and eventually it might have happened if we had seen some sincere wish on the other side of our partners. But it didn't happen. Well, no means no. Okay, fine. Why do you think that is? Just to get to motive. I Wait, does Russia think America controls all of NATO? Is that a thing? I'm going to Google this while they talk. I know you're clearly bitter about it. Um, I understand. But why do you think the West rebuffed you then? Why the hostility? Why did the end of the Cold War not fix the relationship? What motivates this from your point of view? You said I was bitter about the answer. No, it's not bitterness. It's just a statement of fact. We're not bride and groom, bitterness, resentment. It's not about those kind of matters in such circumstances. We just realized we weren't welcome there, that's all. Okay, fine. But let's build relations in another manner. Let's work for common ground elsewhere. Why we received such a negative response, you should ask your leaders. I can only guess why. Too big a country with its own opinion and so on. And the United States, I've seen how issues are being resolved in NATO. I will give you another example now concerning Ukraine. The US leadership exerts pressure and all NATO members obediently vote, even if they do not like something. Now I'll tell you what happened in this regard with Ukraine in 2008, although it's being discussed. I'm not going to open a secret to you, say anything new. Nevertheless, after that we tried to build relations in different ways. For example, the events in the Middle East, in Iraq. We were building relations with the United States in a very soft, prudent, cautious manner. I repeatedly raised the issue that the United States should not support separatism or terrorism in the North Caucasus. But they continue to do it anyway. And political support, information support, financial support, even military support came from the United States and its satellites for terrorist groups in the Caucasus. So, yeah, um, the North Atlantic Council controls NATO. And the North Atlantic Council has representatives from Albania, Belgium, Bulgaria, Canada, Croatia, Czech Republic, Denmark, Estonia, Finland, France, Germany, Greece, Hungary, Hungary, Iceland, Italy, Latvia, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Montenegro, Netherlands, North Macedonia, Norway, Poland, Portugal, Romania, Slovakia, Slovenia, Spain, Turkey, United Kingdoms, and the United States. So I sincerely doubt that America on its own could decide whether or not Russia could join NATO. And there are several countries on this list that just based on their history with Russia, I would assume would be the ones most likely to stop it. 
But maybe he's focusing on America because Tucker's American. I once raised this issue with my colleague, also the President of the United States. He says, it's impossible. Do you have proof? I said, yes. I was prepared for this conversation, and I gave him that proof. He looked at it, and you know what he said? I apologize, but that's what happened. I'll quote. He says, well, I'm gonna kick their ass. We waited and waited for some response. There was no reply. I said to the FSB director, write to the CIA, what is the result of the conversation with president? He wrote once, twice, and then we got a reply. We have the answer in the archive. The CIA replied, we have been working with the opposition in Russia. We believe that this is the right thing to do, and we will keep on doing it. Just ridiculous. Well, okay. We realized that it was out of the question. Forces in The CIA would just admit to that? That doesn't sound very CIA of them. I mean, the admitting part, the them doing that sounds believable because they do that in countries that we don't have as much history or beef with as Russia. So, yeah. CIA are just dicks like that. Opposition to you. Seriously, I think the CIA totally undermine a lot of, like, foreign policy stuff. So you're saying the CIA is trying to overthrow your government? But it's not necessarily inherently why they would be working with the opposition. Just saying. There are other strategic reasons why one would do that. Of course, they meant in that particular case the separatists, the terrorists who fought with us in the Caucasus. That's who they called the opposition. This is the second point. The third moment is a very important one is the moment when the U.S. missile defense system was created. The beginning. We persuaded for a long time not to do it in the United States. Moreover, after was invited by Bush Jr.'s father, Bush Sr., to visit his place on the ocean, I had a very serious conversation with President Bush and his team. I proposed that the United States, Russia and Europe jointly create a missile defense system that we believe, if created unilaterally, threatens our security, despite the fact that the United States officially said that it was being created against missile threats from Iran. That was the justification for the deployment of the missile defense system. I suggest I'm just going to say, as long as nuclear weapons exist, countries have a reason to have a nuclear missile defense system. I mean, I understand why these things would make him paranoid, but like generally speaking, if even if even a friendly country has nuclear weapons, you want a nuclear weapon defense system. Because you you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. Just that working together, Russia, the United States and Europe they said it was very interesting. They asked me, are you serious? I said, absolutely. May I ask what year was this? I don't remember. It is easy to find out on the internet when I was in the USA at the invitation of a Bush senior. 
It is even easier to learn from someone I'm going to tell you about. I was told it was very interesting. I said, just imagine if we could tackle such a global strategic security challenge together. The world will change. We'll probably have disputes, probably economic and even political ones, but we could drastically change the situation in the world. He says yes, and asks, are you serious? I said, of course. We need to think about it, I'm told. I said, go ahead, please. Then Secretary of Defense Gates, it would be very interesting to see if anyone responds to any of these statements. Because right now, right now it's just a he said, he said thing. And like, uh, I don't know. I, do, I don't know what I would necessarily comment or bring to these statements. Other than to just point out that we'll just have to see in the coming days and weeks if uh, anybody responds to it. Former Director of CIA and Secretary of State Rice came in here in this cabinet, right here at this table, they sat on this table. Me, the foreign minister, the Russian defense minister on that side, they said to me, yes, we have thought about it, we agree. I said, thank God, great, but with some exceptions. So twice you've described U.S. president. There are always exceptions in politics. Uh, there's always going to be negotiations. Well, let's, let's see if he says what they are making decisions and then being undercut by their agency heads. So it sounds like you're describing a system that's not run by the people who are elected in your telling. That's right, that's right. In the end, they just told us to get... Okay, as for him joining NATO, one president can't do that. Plus, you're talking about the workings of these different countries all working together. One president can't make those decisions. There's always going to be compromises. Now, what he's trying to do is make his strongman politics seem like the obvious logical way to proceed. But, like, that only makes sense if you want what he wants. It lost. I'm not going to tell you the details because I think it's incorrect. After all, it was confidential conversation. But our proposal was declined. That's a fact. It was right then. He can't tell us what the exceptions are. Fantastic. And when I said, look, but then we will be forced to take countermeasures. We will create such strike systems that will certainly overcome missile defense systems. The answer was, we are not doing this against you and you do what you want assuming that it is not against us, not against the United States. I said, okay, very well, that's the way it went. And we created hypersonic systems with intercontinental range, and we continue to develop them. We are now ahead of everyone, the United States and the other countries, in terms of the development of hypersonic strike systems, and we are improving them every day. Oh, man. The, th the problem here is that Putin is making a self-fulfilling prophecy at this point. And, and the thing is, is that America's statement to him, we're not doing it against you, is fair. Because, like I said, if nuclear weapons exist, your country has reasons to have defenses against nuclear weapons. It's just that kind of thing. So, yeah. But it wasn't us. We proposed to go the other way, 
and we were pushed back. Now, about NATO's expansion to the east. Well, we were promised no NATO. I'm not going to sit here and defend or justify the political decisions that he is briefly brushing over. Like, I don't know what went into these decisions. And he's not telling the stories in a way where he is going to share what went into these decisions. Some of them he may not even know. NATO to the east, not an inch to the east, as we were told. And then what? They said, well, it's worth noting that Ukraine is currently not in NATO. But ironically, this attack on them would absolutely justify them joining NATO, provided they win. It's not enshrined on paper. So we'll expand. So there were five waves of expansion, the Baltic states, the whole of Eastern Europe and so on. And now I come to the main thing. They have come to the Ukraine, ultimately. In 2008, at the summit in Bucharest, they declared that the doors for Ukraine and Georgia to join NATO were open. Now about how decisions are made there. Germany, France seemed to be against it, as well as some other European countries. But then, as it turned out, later President Bush, and he's such a tough guy, a tough politician, as I was told later, he exerted pressure on us and we had to agree. It's ridiculous, it's like kindergarten. Where are W? W was a tough guy? are the guarantees. What kindergarten is this? What kind of people are these? Who are they? You see, they were pressed, they agreed. And then they say, Ukraine won't be in the NATO, you know? I say, I don't know. I know you agreed in 2008. Why won't you agree in the future? Well, they pressed us then. I say, why won't they press you tomorrow? And you'll agree again. Well, it's nonsensical. Who's there to talk to? I just don't understand. We're ready to talk. But with whom? Where are the guarantees? None. So they started to develop the territory of Ukraine. Whatever is... I mean, the problem is, if these countries want to join NATO, like, if, the, if we were to assume these are sovereign countries, then we have to ask the question is, who is anyone to tell these sovereign countries what alliances they can or cannot join. Is there, I have told you, the background, how this territory developed, what kind of relations there were with Russia. Every second or third person there has always had some ties with Russia. And during the elections in already independent, sovereign Ukraine, which gained its independence. So here's the thing though. No matter how threatened he feels, it does not justify the invasion of a country for the purposes of annexing it which by the way the reason that russia wants these states to surround them is that so other countries would have to march through these countries before they got to russia so like the thing is is that russia is this country that is always preparing for war with the west that's what he's describing and the problem is, is that he's creating a self-fulfilling prophecy like Ukraine has every reason to want to join NATO now because we know that you are going to come up with any reason you can to invade Ukraine. The fact that Ukraine might want to join NATO is a very questionable reason to join them because it sort of 
self-fulfills the reason for why they would want to join. Independence as a result of the Declaration of Independence. And by the way, it says that Ukraine is a neutral state, and in 2008, suddenly the doors or gates to NATO were open to it. Oh, come on. This is not how we agreed. Now, all the presidents that have come to power in Ukraine, they've relied on electorate with a good attitude to Russia in one way or the other. This is the southeast of Ukraine. This is a large number of people. And it was very difficult to dissuade this electorate, which had a positive attitude towards Russia. Viktor Yanukovych came to power and how? The first time he won after President Kuchma, they organized the third round, which is not provided for in the constitution of Ukraine. This is a coup d'etat. Just imagine, someone in the United States wouldn't like the outcome. In 2014? Before that. No, this was before that. After President Kuchma, Viktor Yanukovych won the elections. However, his opponents did not recognize that victory. The U.S. supported the opposition, and the third round was scheduled. What is this? This is a coup. The U.S. supported it. But it wasn't a successful coup, if it was a coup. And also, it came, it came from inside their own country. I don't, agree, I don't necessarily agree with that. But like Yanukovych did become pre president, or I'm losing my mind. And the winner of the third round came to power. Imagine if in the U.S. something was not to someone's liking, and the third round of election, which the U.S. Constitution does not provide for, was organized. Nonetheless, it was done in Ukraine. Okay, Viktor Yushchenko, who was considered a pro-Western politician, came to power. Fine, we have built relations with him as well. He came to Moscow with visits. We visited Kiev. I visited too. We met in an informal setting. If he's pro-Western, so be it. It's fine. Let people do their job. The situation should have developed inside the independent... Okay, yeah, Viktor, Viktor Yanukovych is who I thought he was. I'm not losing my mind. Good. ...that Ukraine itself, as a result of Kuchma's leadership, things got worse and Viktor Yanukovych came to power after all. Maybe he wasn't the best president and politician, I don't know. I don't want to give assessments. However, the issue of the association with the EU came up. We have always been lenient to this, suit yourself. But when we read through the Treaty of Association, it turned out to be a problem for us, since we had a free... Yanukovych first ran for president in 2004 election, where he advanced to the runoff and was declared the winner against former Prime Minister Viktor Yushchenko. A lot of victors. However, allegations of electoral fraud and voter intimidation caused widespread protests in Kyiv. Uh, Independence Square was occupied in what became known as the Orange Revolution. Ukraine Supreme Court ultimately nullified the runoff election in order to rerun, which Yanukovych lost to Yushchenko. Yanukovych ran for president again in 2010 election, this time beating Prime Minister Yulia Timoshenko in an election that was judged free and fair by international observers. So why didn't they stop him the second time? Why didn't they stop him the second time? free trade zone and open customs borders with Ukraine, which under this...
Association had to open its borders for Europe, which could have led to flooding of our market. We said, no, this is not going to work. We shall close our borders with Ukraine then. The customs borders, that is. Yanukovych started to calculate how much Ukraine was going to gain, how much to lose, and said to his European partners, I need more time to think before signing. The moment he said that, the opposition began to take destructive steps, which were supported by the West. It all came down to Maidan. Supported by the West is a very ambiguous open term. For example, if supported by the West means they gave them money and guns, that's a very big deal. But if supported by the West means a few Western politicians said nice things about it, that's a very different thing. And a coup in Ukraine. So he did more trade with Russia than with the EU. Ukraine did. Of course. It's not even the matter of trade volume, although for the most part it is. It is the matter of cooperation size, which the entire Ukrainian economy was based on. The cooperation size between the enterprises were very close since the times of the Soviet Union. One enterprise there used to produce components to be assembled both in Russia and Ukraine and vice versa. They used to be very close ties. A coup d'etat was committed, although I shall not delve into details now, as I find doing it. Because you can't prove it was one. It inappropriate, the U.S. told us. Calm Yanukovych down and we will calm the opposition. Let the situation unfold in the scenario of a political settlement. We said, all right, agreed, let's do it this way. As the Americans requested, Yanukovych did use neither the armed forces nor the police, yet the armed opposition committed a coup in Kiev. What is that supposed to mean? Who do you wow, that is wildly bad faith. Wildly bad faith. We calmed down our guys. Why didn't you calm down the opposition, Americans? Like, because the thing is, is that, like, you can't prove they didn't try. All they have is that they agreed to. Because, like, the thing is, just because Americans might have tried to calm it down, and we don't know that they did or didn't, because he hasn't actually offered evidence for either of these, th these claims, there's no guarantee America could have calmed them down, providing how organic the opposition actually is. If the opposition is super organic, Americans probably couldn't calm it down. Do you think you are? I wanted to ask the then U.S. leadership. With the backing of whom? With the backing of CIA, of course. The organization you wanted to join. So this is a claim that's made a lot, but so far no evidence has actually been put forward that the CIA assisted in what happened. Um, there's just no evidence for it. Also, Yanukovych did hire criminals to shoot people. Back in the day, as I understand. We should thank God they didn't let you in. Although, it is a serious organization. I understand. My former vis-a-vis -vis in the sense that I served in the first main directorate, Soviet Union's intelligence service. They have always been our opponent. So in his mind, the world will always be cloak and daggers. When things aren't going his way, he has to assume malevolence. A job is a job. Technically, they did everything right. They achieved their goal of changing the government. 
However, from a political standpoint, it was a colossal mistake. Surely it was political leadership's miscalculation. They should have seen what it would evolve into. So, in 2008, the doors of NATO were opened for Ukraine. In 2014, there was a coup, they started persecuting those who did not accept the coup, and it was indeed a coup. They created a threat to Crimea. It wasn't a coup. It, it, it literally wasn't a coup. And the reason it wasn't a coup is because their government didn't change. One guy ran and was later convicted of treason. But their government, the status quo of their government did not change. There was no major overthrow of the government. The next guy in line for president got to be president. In a coup, you have to assume that they would overthrow the entire political system. Because that's part of what makes it a coup. Is when you throw out that political system and typically establish a new one which we had to take under our protection. They launched the war in Donbas in 2014 with the use of aircraft and artillery against civilians. This is when it all started. There is a video of aircraft attacking Donetsk from above. They launched a large-scale military operation, then another one. When they failed, they started to prepare the next one. All this against the background of military development of this territory and opening of NATO's doors. How could we not express concern over what was happening? From our side, this would have been a culpable negligence. That's what it would have been. It's just that the U.S. political leadership pushed us to the line we could not cross, because doing so could have ruined Russia itself. Besides, we could not leave our brothers in faith, in fact, a part of Russian people, in the face of this war machine. What was the, so but that was eight years before the current conflict started. So what was the trigger for you? What was the moment where you decided you had to do this. Initially, it was the coup in Ukraine that provoked the conflict. By the way, back then the representatives of three European countries, Germany, Poland and France, arrived. They were the guarantors of the signed agreement between the government of Yanukovych and the opposition. They signed it as guarantors. Despite that, the opposition committed a coup and all these countries pretended that they didn't remember that they were guarantors of the peaceful settlement. They just threw it in the stove right away and nobody recalls that. I don't know if... The war in Donbas or Donbas war was phase of, Rus of Russo-Ukrainian war in the Donbas region of Ukraine. The war began in the war began on the 12th of April 2014 when a 50-man commando unit headed by Russian citizen Igor Gherkin seized Slavansk in Donetsk Oblast. The Ukrainian I apologize for my terrible American pronunciation of these words. The Ukrainian military launched an operation against them. It continued until it was subsumed by Russian invasion of Ukraine in February. So he's leaving out the separatists, the separatist invasion of Donetsk. Interesting. March of four, 
In March of 2014, following Ukraine's revolution of dignity, anti-revolution and pro-Russian protests began in Ukraine's Donetsk and Luhansk ob oblasts, collectively the Donbass. The way he made it sound, made it sound like Donbass wasn't in Ukraine. Armed Russian-backed separatists seized Ukrainian government buildings and declared Donetsk and Luhansk republics, DPR and LPR, as independent states, leading to conflict with Ukrainian government forces. Russia it covertly supported the separatists with troops and weaponry. It only admitted sending military specialists, but later acknowledged the separatists as Russian combat veterans. In April of 2014, Ukraine launched counteroffensives and called the Anti-Terrorist Operation, ATO, later named the Joint Forces Operation by late August 2014. Ukraine had retaken most separatist-held territory and nearly regained control of Russian-Ukraine border. In response, Russia covertly sent troops, tanks, and artillery into the Donbas. Ukrainian officials called this Russian stealth invasion. The Russian incursion helped the pro-Russian forces regain much of the territory they had lost. Alexander Borodai, former prime minister of the DPR, said 50,000 Russian volunteers had fought in the first five months. Wow, I just, he's being very dishonest about his framing of this event. If the U.S. know anything about the agreement between the opposition and the authorities and its three guarantors who, instead of bringing this whole situation back in the political field, supported the coup, although it was meaningless, believe me, because President Yanukovych agreed to all conditions, he was ready to hold an early election which he had no chance of winning, frankly speaking. Everyone knew that. Then why the coup? Why the victims? Why threatening Crimea? Why launching an operation in Donbas? This I do not understand. That is exactly what the miscalculation is. So he's either a liar or the fact that he worked in, as a member of the KGB for so long has warped his brain with nothing but paranoia. CIA did its job. Or both. Probably both. Not to complete the coup. I think one of the deputy secretaries of state said that it cost a large sum of money, almost five billion. But the political mistake was colossal. Why would they have to do that? All this could have been done legally, without victims, without military action, without losing Crimea. He did not mention the separatists at all. We would have never considered to even lift a finger if it hadn't been for the bloody developments on Maidan. Because we agreed with the fact that after the collapse of the Soviet Union, our borders should be along the borders of former Union's republics. We agreed to that. But we never agreed to NATO's expansion and, moreover, we never agreed that Ukraine would be in NATO. But why would Russia need to agree to that? Like, if Ukraine is a sovereign, independent nation with autonomy, what does Russia's opinion or attitude have to do with it? You, you see the, the issue here? We did not agree to NATO bases there without any discussion with us. For decades, we kept asking, don't do this. Don't. In fairness, the discussion about NATO base locations, probably something Russia would have. But, at, but ultimately, Russia can't dictate what other countries decide to do. They can negotiate about it and complain. Don't do that. 
And what triggered the latest events? Firstly, the current Ukrainian leadership declared that it would not implement the Minsk agreements, which had been signed, as you know, after the events of 2014. Just so everyone knows, there are people who are way better for this than me. Like if Dylan Burns, ha is a YouTuber and Twitch streamer, although I think he's banned on Twitch right now, uh, Dylan Burns has done great work on the Ukraine conflict. And if you want to learn about it, I highly recommend you check out his content on YouTube. Um, if he has a video on this, then shut me off and go listen to him. Because he knows way more about this than me. Seen in Minsk, where the plan of peaceful settlement in Donbass was set forth. But no, the current Ukrainian leadership, foreign minister, all other officials, and then president himself said that they don't like anything about the Minsk agreements. Specifically the Minsk agreements, I've looked into this before and like other people can explain the Minsk agreements better than I could. My understanding though is that Russia didn't exactly live up to the Minsk agreements either, but like I said, this is an area where I don't know a whole lot. In other words, they were not going to implement it. There was a reason for that. I, I don't remember what it is. A year or a year and a half ago, former leaders of Germany and France said openly to the whole world that they indeed signed the Minsk agreements, but they never intended to implement them. They simply led us by the nose. Was there anyone for you to talk to? Did you call a U.S. president's secretary of state and say, if you keep militarizing Ukraine with NATO forces, this is going to get, this is going to be a, we're going to act. We talked about this all the time. We addressed the United States and European countries' leadership to stop these developments immediately to implement the Minsk agreements. Frankly speaking, I didn't know how we were going to do this, but I was ready to implement them. These agreements were complicated for Ukraine. They included lots of elements of those Donbas territories independence. That's true. However, I was absolutely confident, and I'm saying this to you now, I honestly believe that if we managed to convince the residents of Donbas, and we had to work hard to convince them to return to the Ukrainian statehood, then gradually the wounds would start to heal. When this part of territory reintegrated itself into common social environment, when the pensions and social benefits were paid again, all the pieces would gradually fall into place. No, nobody wanted that. Everybody wanted to resolve the issue by military force only. But we could not let that happen. And the situation got to the point when the Ukrainian side announced, no, we will not do anything. They also started preparing for military action. It was they who started the war in 2014. Our goal is to stop this war. And we did. That is not what the uh, research says. Not what it says. Did not start this war in 2022. This is an attempt to stop it. Do you think you've stopped it now? That's a wild statement to make when you are the ones who were occupying. I mean, have you achieved your aims? 
No, we haven't achieved our aims yet, because one of them is denazification. This means the prohibition of all kinds of neo-Nazi movements. This is one of the problems that we discussed during the negotiation process, which ended in Istanbul early this year. Now, I don't know if he is going to specify, but from the research I've done, from the arguments made by people who support Russia, the thing that I can tell you is that they do not have the same definition of Nazis as the rest of us. In fact, that there are, in fact, a lot of Russians who just consider anti-Russianness to make you a Nazi. I once heard the Yankee Tanky describe what he described as a Nazi, and it was so convoluted, I did not know what the fuck to, to say to it. Because Yankee Tanky is a right-wing communist. That's a thing. But let's move along. The point is, is that denazification is a wild demand. Because you see, if a government was Nazi'd, that'd be one thing. But the reality is, is that even if he is operating off the same definition of Nazis, that I hate to tell you this, but somebody could just invade Oregon based on that concept, okay? There are Nazis all over the place. Nazis exist. Still, there are neo-Nazi movements all over the United States and also parts of Europe, okay? Now, in none of these locations are these neo-Nazis in obvious open positions of power. I'm sure that there are some secret Nazis somewhere in the, in the government or whatnot, but there are no open Nazis in positions of power currently. And there are no Nazis in open positions of power in Ukraine either. So the denazification would mean a referral to essentially removing citizenry who are Nazis. And at that point, like, you could invade any country you want on that concept. And it was not our initiative, because we were told by the Europeans, in particular, that it was necessary to create conditions for the final signing of the documents. My counterparts in France and Germany said, how can you imagine them signing a treaty with a gun to their heads? The troops should be pulled back from Kiev. I said, all right, we withdrew the troops from Kiev. As soon as we pulled back our troops from Kiev, our Ukrainian negotiators immediately threw all our agreements reached in Istanbul into the bin. Because they only were looking at to accept them because you had a gun to their head. It's in your own sentence, man. And got prepared for a long-standing armed confrontation with the help of the United States and its satellites in Europe. That is how the situation has developed, and that is how it looks now. But, but what do, is part of my ignorance? What is denazification? What would that mean? What is actually, good question. Damn it! Again, Tucker Carlson actually not being a pot. Like this is the thing: you put one pile of shit next to a bigger pile of shit, other pile of shit suddenly looks reasonable. Happens all the time. That is what I want to talk about right now. It is a very important issue. 
denazification. After gaining independence, Ukraine began to search, as some Western analysts say, its identity. And it came up with nothing better than to build this identity upon some false heroes who collaborated with Hitler. I have already said that in the early 19th century, when the theorists of independence... So, like, I know who he's talking about. I forget their name. There are specific historical reasons why people in Ukraine like that guy. And it's not always just because he was a Nazi, but also, like, that guy's dead. What are you going to do? Like, there are people there who still like him because of historical elements, and that's not good, but, like, independence and sovereignty of Ukraine appeared, they assumed that an independent Ukraine should have very good relations with Russia. But due to the historical development, those territories were part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, Poland, where Ukrainians were persecuted and treated quite brutally as well as were subject to cruel behavior. Because they wanted the Polish to acknowledge them as Ukrainian. The Polish were doing the same thing you're doing. There were also attempts to destroy their identity. All this remained in the memory of the people. When World War II broke out, part of this extremely nationalist elite collaborated with Hitler believing that he would bring them freedom. I think it's interesting he hasn't said the name of the guy. I forget the guy's name, but there's a significant individual connected to this. The German troops, even the SS troops, made Hitler's collaborators do the dirtiest work of exterminating the Polish and Jewish population. Hence this brutal massacre of the Polish and Jewish population, as well as the Russian population too. It's interesting how like groups, groups are as evil as he wants them to be, but then also as victimized as he wants them to be in his narrative. This was led by the persons who are well known, Bandera, Shukevich. There's the name. It was those people who were made national heroes. That is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. But you are a nationalist. The things you are doing is nationalistic. Wait a minute, did he just say we are told? This was led by the persons who are well known, Bandera, Shukevich. It was those people who were made national heroes. That is the problem. And we are constantly told that nationalism and neo-Nazism exist in other countries as well. Yes, they are seedlings, but we approve them. And other countries fight against them. But Ukraine is not the case. These people have been made into national heroes in Ukraine. Monuments to those people have been erected. They are displayed on flags. Their names are shouted by crowds that walk with torches, as it was in Nazi Germany. I would want to see some evidence of some of these claims, but I do know that statues to um, Bandero at least exist. 
These were people who exterminated Poles, Jews, and Russians. In America, we have statues to Confederate people, not a reason for us to go around exterminating Southerners. It is necessary to stop this practice and prevent the dissemination of this concept. I say that Ukrainians are part of the one Russian people. They say, no, we are a separate people. Okay, fine. If they consider themselves a separate people, they have the right to do so, but not on the basis of Nazism, the Nazi ideology. Would you be satisfied with the terror? He is tying these things together, even though there is no evidence that these things are tied together. There is no evidence that wanting to be Ukrainian is akin to wanting to be a Nazi. Those, those are not lines that are inherently there. Territory that you have now. I will finish answering the question. You just asked a question about neo-Nazism and denazification. Look, the president of Ukraine visited Canada. This story is well known, but being silenced in the Western countries. The Canadian... It's not. I think I know what story he's about to talk about. And it was a huge, embarrassing story. No one suppressed it. Like almost every... All the left-wing people I follow fucking humiliated Canada over this. In Parliament introduced a man who, as the Speaker of the Parliament said, introduced by a right-wing guy, by the way, fought against the Russians during the World War II. Well, who fought against the Russians during the World War II? Hitler and his accomplices. It turned out that this man served in the SS troops. He personally killed Russians, Poles, and Jews. The SS troops consisted of Ukrainian nationalists who did this dirty work. The president of Ukraine stood up with the entire parliament of Canada and applauded this man. How can this be imagined? The president of Ukraine himself, by the way, is a... I don't remember the president of Ukraine being there, but I can look into that. Jew by nationality. <laughs> really, my question is, what do you? He may not have known. It's totally possible. Do about it. I mean, Hitler's been dead for eighty years. Nazi Germany no longer exists. This is a fair question. And so, true. And so, I think what you're saying is you want to extinguish or at least control Ukrainian nationalism. But how? How do you do that? Послушайте меня. Ваш вопрос. Listen to me. Your question is very subtle, and I can tell you what I think. Do not take offense. Of course. This question appears to be subtle. It is quite pesky. You say Hitler has been dead for so many years, 80 years, but his example lives on. People who exterminated Jews, Russians and Poles are alive. And the president, the current president of today's Ukraine, applauds him in the Canadian parliament. An optic loss? But that still doesn't inherently make him a Nazi. Like. A lot of people were confused, surprised, and embarrassed by this event. 
gives a standing ovation. Can we say that we have completely... Essentially, he's using this optically against Ukraine. That's what's happening. ...uprooted this ideology if what we see is happening today. That is what denazification is in our understanding. We have to get rid of those people who maintain this concept and support this practice and try to preserve it. That is what denazification is. That is what we mean. Like, I doubt Zelensky would support anti-Semitism. I mean, I guess there are self-hating Jews in the world, but still. Right. My question was a little more specific. It was, of course, not a defense of Nazis, neo or otherwise. It was a practical question. You don't control the entire country. You don't control Kiev. You don't seem like you want to. So how, how do you eliminate a culture or an ideology or feelings or a view of history in a country that you don't control? What do you do about that? You know, as strange as it may seem to you, during the negotiations at Istanbul, we did agree that we have it all in writing. Neo-Nazism would not be cultivated in Ukraine, including that it would be prohibited at the legislative level. Mr. Carson, we agreed on that. This, it turns out, can be done during the negotiation process. And there's nothing... Yeah, but at the end of the day, like, the problem is that you're, su you're suppressing a form of free speech, and that's a lot harder to do than you think it is. ...humiliating for Ukraine as a modern civilized state. Is any state allowed to promote Nazism? It is not, is it? Uh, that is it. <coughs> There are certainly people who do, but they can't use the words Nazism. Like, that's the thing, is that, like, people will keep on being Nazis, they just won't use the word Nazi. You understand what I'm saying? This is not... Of course you understand what I'm saying. It's a simple concept. This is... They're, at the end of the day, they, they're talking about nothing. Um, will there be talks, and why haven't there been talks? about resolving the conflict in Ukraine, peace talks. They have been. They reached a very high stage of coordination of positions in a complex process, but still they were almost finalized. But after we withdrew our troops from Kiev, as I have already said, the other side I think he means now. I think Tucker Carlson means now. If you're talking about when you withdrew your, your troops from Kiev, that was, that was last time. Uh, he means this time. I threw away all these agreements and obeyed the instructions of Western countries, European countries, and the United States to fight Russia to the bitter end. Moreover, the president of Ukraine has legislated a ban on negotiating with Russia. He signed a decree forbidding everyone to negotiate with Russia. But how are we going to negotiate if he forbade himself and everyone to do this? We know that he is putting forward some ideas about this settlement, but in order to agree on something, we need to have a dialogue. Is that not right? Well, but you wouldn't be speaking to the Ukrainian president, you'd be speaking to the American president. When was the last time you spoke to Joe Biden? I cannot remember when I talked to him. I do not remember. We can look it up. You don't remember? 
No. Why? Do I have to remember everything? I have my own things to do. We have domestic political affairs. Well, he's funding the war that you're fighting, so I would think that would be memorable. Well, yes, he funds, but I talked to him before the special military operation, of course. And I said to him then, by the way, I will not go into details, I never do, but I said to him then, I believe that you are making a huge mistake of historic proportion. Because if I don't go into details, it's hard to catch me when I'm massaging the truth. Portions by supporting everything that is happening there in Ukraine <coughs> by pushing Russia away. I told him, told him repeatedly, by the way. I think that would be correct if I stop here. What did he say? Ask him, please. It is easier for you. You are a citizen of the United States. Go and ask him. It is not appropriate for me to comment on our conversation. But, but, but you haven't spoken to him since before February of 2022. No, we haven't spoken. Certain contacts are being maintained, though. Speaking of which, do you remember what I told you about my proposal to work together on a missile defense system? Yes. You can ask all of them. All of them are safe and sound, thank God. The former president, Condoleezza, is safe and sound, and I think Mr. Gates and the current director... There's supposed to be a comma in there? Does it sound like he called Condoleezza Rice the president? ...director of the intelligence agency, Mr. Burns, the then ambassador to Russia, in my opinion, are very yes. successful ambassador. They were all witnesses to these conversations. Ask them. Same here. If you are interested in what Mr. President Biden responded to me, ask him. At any rate, I talked to him about it. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested, but from the outside, it seems like this could devolve or evolve into something that brings the entire world into conflict and could um, initiate some, a nuclear launch. And so why don't you just call Biden and say, let's work this out? What's there to work out? It's very simple. I repeat, we have contacts through various agencies. I will tell you what we are saying on this matter and what we are conveying to the U.S. leadership. If you really want to stop fighting, you need to stop supplying weapons. It will be over within a few weeks. That's but like, that just sounds like you're saying, hey, if you stop helping them, we'll crush them. Like, that's not... That's not good. Sit. And then we can agree on some terms. Before you do that, stop. What's easier? Why would I call him? What should I talk to him about? Or beg him for what? And, and what messages do you get back? You're going to deliver such and such weapons to Ukraine? Oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Oh my God, we still have an hour. Hey, please don't. What is there to talk about? Do you think NATO is worried? About he doesn't really care about negotiating either. He just wants to make it, he just wants to put emphasis on when other people don't want to negotiate. About this becoming a global <clears throat> war or a nuclear conflict? At least that's what they're talking about. 
and they are trying to intimidate their own population with an imaginary Russian threat. This is an obvious fact. And thinking people, not Philistines, but thinking people, analysts, those who are engaged in real politics, just smart people understand perfectly well that this is a fake. They're trying to fuel the Russian threat. The threat I think you're referring to is a Russian invasion of Poland, Latvia, expansionist behavior. Is, can you imagine? Because your behavior seems expansionist. Like even your answers here indicate that your desire is to crush Ukraine. Imagine a scenario where you sent Russian troops to Poland. Only in one case, if Poland attacks Russia. Why? Because we have no interest in Poland, Latvia or anywhere else. Why would we do that? We simply don't have any interest. It's just threat-mongering. Well, the argument, I know you know this, is that, well, he invaded Ukraine, he has territorial aims across the continent, and you're saying unequivocally you don't. It is absolutely out of the question. Yeah, to think about it, though. You just don't have to be any kind of analyst. It goes against common sense to get involved in some kind of a global... Everyone prior to your invasion said it went against common sense for you to invade. Global war. And a global war will bring all humanity to the brink of destruction. It's obvious. There are certainly means of deterrence. They have been scaring everyone with us all along. Tomorrow Russia will use tactical nuclear weapons. Tomorrow Russia will use that. No. You just told us how advanced and how ahead of everyone you are with your nuclear weapons. You're not helping, man. No, the day after tomorrow. So what? In order to extort additional money from US taxpayers and European taxpayers in the confrontation with Russia in the Ukrainian theater of war. The goal is to weaken Russia as much as possible. What? One of well, weaken Russia is a prolonged, meaningless war with Ukraine that it never should have started. Uh, our senior United States senators from the state of New York, Chuck Schumer, said yesterday, I believe, that we have to continue to fund the Ukrainian effort <coughs> or U.S soldiers, citizens could wind up fighting there. How do you assess that? This is a provocation and a cheap provocation at that. I do not understand why American soldiers should fight in Ukraine. They are mercenary. To remind you, currently they are not. We do currently not have any boots on the ground. It's from the United States there. The bigger number of mercenaries comes from I also want to say that I'm actually not in favor of us putting boots on the ground. I do think that that would take escalation to a new point. I don't think there's anything wrong with supplying our allies with munitions, though. From Poland, with mercenaries from the United States in second place, and mercenaries from Georgia in third place. Well, if somebody has the desire to send regular troops, that would certainly bring humanity to the brink of very serious global conflict. This is obvious. 
Do the United States need this? What for? Thousands of miles away from your national territory. Don't you have anything better to do? You have issues on the border, issues with migration, issues... See, like, this is the thing. Like, the fact that he has always checked into, like, Republican talking points is pretty wild. ...with the national debt, more than $33 trillion. You have nothing better to do, so you should fight in Ukraine? We're not currently fighting in Ukraine, just to remind you. Wouldn't it be better to negotiate with Russia? Make an agreement? You literally just... He literally went on this whole thing about, like, why would Russia make an, a negotiation with America? What should we need from you? Like... So, like, what? Already understanding the situation that is developing today, realizing that Russia will fight for its interests to the end, and realizing this, actually return to common sense, start respecting our country and its interests, and look for certain solutions. It seems to me that this is much smarter and more rational. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have... Do you have <laughs> Interesting he chose to deflect from that question with a joke. Uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, though. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Yeah, no, he paranoid as fuck. I'm not saying the CIA didn't do it. They could have. But, like, most evidence indicates that it was probably not. See, the thing is, he doesn't have any evidence for that. Whether he really believes it or if he just thinks it's, it's the most convenient thing he can say at that point, who knows. But no evidence has currently been presented for that claim. Do, do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? Oh. You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, Look for someone who is interested. Not an answer. He does not. He, he does not. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected. Who is interested and who is capable of doing it? But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the US, CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest... Did he just America question us? Did, we, did, he, just replace, did he just replace the Jewish question with the American question? Is that what just happened? European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? 
So it is possible to get involved in this work, but it is cost-prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information, and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened, and even American analysts talk about it directly. It's true. Yes, I, but, but here's a question you may be able to answer. Well, we have, it's never been confirmed. We, I mean, America, I, I think America suspects Ukraine. It sounds like Russia doesn't think Ukraine could do that. Or he just really wants everyone to be paranoid about the CIA, which eh, kind of should be. You worked in Germany, famously. Um, the Germans clearly know that their NATO partner did this, but they, and it damaged their economy greatly. It may never recover. Why are they being silent about it? That's very confusing to me. Why wouldn't the Germans say something about it? This also confuses me. But today's German leadership is guided by the interests of the collective West rather than its national interests. Otherwise, it is difficult to explain the logic of their action or inaction. After all, it is not only about Nord Stream 1, which was blown up, and the Nord Stream 2 was damaged. But one pipe is safe and sound, and gas can be supplied to Europe through it. But Germany does not open it. We are ready, please. There's another route through Poland, called Yamal Europe, which also allows for a large flow. Poland has closed it, but Poland packs from the German hand, it receives money from the pan-European funds, and Germany is the main donor to these pan-European funds. Okay, yeah, so he is actually unironically WQing, or Western questioning. Uh, basically, the West controls the world, they're out to get us, this is a conspiracy, that's what he's saying. Funds. Germany feeds Poland to a certain extent. And they closed their route to Germany. Why? I don't understand. Ukraine, to which the Germans supply weapons and give money. Germany is the second sponsor of the United States in terms of financial aid to Ukraine. There are two gas routes through Ukraine. They simply closed one route, the Ukrainians. Open the second route and please get gas from Russia. They do not open it. Why don't the Germans say? Look guys, we give you money and weapons. Open up the valve, please. Let the gas from Russia pass through for us. We're buying liquefied gas at exorbitant prices in Europe, which brings the level of our competitiveness and economy in general down to zero. Do you want us to give you money? Wow, Putin really is a propaganda master, you know? He's, he's good at this shit. I mean, I can see through him, but he is good at this shit. Let us have the decent existence, make money for our economy, because this is where the money we give you comes from. They refuse to do so. Why? Ask them. That is what is like in their heads. Those are highly incompetent people. Well, maybe the world is breaking into two hemispheres one with cheap energy, the other without. And I want to ask you that. If, if we're now a multipolar world, obviously we are. Can you describe the blocks of alliances? Who, who is in each side, do you think? Listen, you have said that the world is breaking into two hemispheres. 
a human brain is divided into two hemispheres. One is responsible for one type of activities, the other one is more about creativity and so on. But it is still one and the same head. The world should be a single whole. Security should be shared rather than a meant for the golden billion. That is the only scenario where the world could be stable, sustainable and predictable. Until then, while the head is split in two parts, it is an illness, a serious adverse condition. It is a period of severe disease that the world is going through now. But I think that, thanks to honest journalism, this work is akin to work of the doctors, this could somehow be remedied. Well, let's just give one example, the, the US dollar, which has kind of united the world uh, in a lot of ways, maybe not to your advantage, but certainly to ours. <coughs> is that going away as the reserve currency, the, the, common, the universally accepted currency? How have sanctions, do you think, changed the dollar's place in the world? You know, to use the dollar as a tool of foreign policy struggle is one of the biggest strategic mistakes made by the U.S. political leadership. The dollar is the cornerstone of the United States power. I think everyone understands very well that no matter how many dollars are printed, they are quickly dispersed all over the world. Inflation in the United States is minimal. It's about 3 or 3.4 percent, which is, I think, totally acceptable for the U.S. But they won't stop printing. What does the debt... Oh, my God. It's so fucking long. It's so long. It's so long. I need a break. All right, so you may have noticed I'm wearing something completely different, and my hair is back. That's because I did not film this all in one sitting. In fact, I didn't even film it all in one day. I rolled it over to the second day, which made that, which is gonna make this day harder, because now I gotta edit it and shit. But we're gonna finish this motherfucker, okay? Uh, because so far, the major things that I'm noticing is A, Putin's really good at propaganda. B, the whole thing is very dishonest and paranoid at the same time. Putin is... Putin is not being honest about the nature of the conflict in Ukraine or what the Ukrainian people previously thought for as a nation, which is to be recognized as an ethnicity which is why they fought against Poland in the first place, a conflict that he described poorly because he had to dance around the fact that that's actually what they wanted was to be recognized as Ukrainian and not Polish. As we last left off, he was talking about the dollar, which I'm glad I got some rest in because like I was starting to, my brain was going previously and I, I missed some of the stuff he was saying about the American dollar. Now, of course, Putin has to downplay the dollar to a certain extent because it's worth so much more than the ruble. They still use the ruble, right? Listen to me. I sound like I don't know anything. Because I don't. I'm a comedian. Why are you watching me? I should not discourage you from watching me. 
I need you to watch me. I need you to watch me. I'm getting lost. I'm getting sidetracked. I haven't even hit the vape yet. Let's focus. So he has to downplay the dollar. And we're going to get in. I'm sure he's going to. As we jump back into it, I'm sure he's going to talk more about this. But he has to downplay the dollar. Now, whether or not America using the dollar as their core advantage in the world is good or bad, it's a hard thing for us to tell because it, it's worked out pretty well for America so far. It has granted America a lot of power in our strong dollar. Um, he himself, in the interview, has just admitted that our level of inflation is actually decent. Putin thinks our level of inflation is not bad. Now, he's going to say that it doesn't matter because as soon as we have money printed, it goes to, it goes all around the world. Now, to be fair, though, that's also why our dollar is powerful. And also, that technically means that, uh, that well, everyone's sort of dependent on our dollar, which has worked out well for us so far. But who knows? Maybe Putin will be proven right in the future. But the point is, is that his dollar ain't worth leveraging shit. Let's get back into it. What does the debt of $33 trillion tell us about? It is about the emission. Nevertheless, it is the main weapon used by the United States to preserve its power across the world. As soon as the political leadership decided to use the U.S. dollar as a tool of political struggle, a blow was dealt to this American power. I would not like to use any strong language, but it is a stupid thing to do and a grave mistake. Look at what is going on in the world. Even the United States allies are now downsizing their dollar reserves. Seeing this, everyone starts looking for ways to protect themselves. But the fact that the United States applies restrictive measures to certain countries, such as placing restrictions on transactions, freezing assets, etc., causes grave concern and sends a signal to the whole world. Translation. I think it makes you look like a dick that you sanction me for the things that I do. You dicks. What did we have here? Until 2022, about 80% of Russian foreign trade transactions were made in US dollars and euros. US dollars accounted for approximately 50% of our transactions with third countries. Well, currently it is down to 13%. It wasn't us who banned the use of the US dollar. We had no such intention. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in US dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers. Interesting take from Putin there. Hey, guys. Why are you stopping me from using your money? That's part of your economy. What are you doing? And, you know, but sometimes you just, you know, you got to draw a line in the sand. Uh, especially if the alternative is war, you know. Maybe stop doing war. 
as it damages the U.S. economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in Yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles and about as much, a little over 34% in Yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Do you even realize what is going on or not? Does anyone in the United States realize this? What are you doing? You are cutting yourself off. All experts say this. Ask any intelligent and thinking person in the United States what the dollar means for the U.S. But you're killing it with your own hands. I think that's a fair. I, I think that's a fair assessment. The question is what comes next, and maybe you trade one colonial power for another, much less sentimental and forgiving colonial power. I mean, are, is the, the the BRICS, for example, in danger of being completely dominated by the Chinese, the Chinese economy? Uh, in a way that's not good for their sovereignty. Oh, that's interesting. So right now he's trying to flip it around on Putin by bringing up uh, the fact that China might in might end up dominating BRICS. Now, BRICS is the supposed next economic superpower uh, of the future, and they've been talking about it for literally like a decade now. Actually, no, over a decade, because I was in college when I learned about BRICS. Now, ah, I hate admitting that, um, <laughs> that I'm old, not that I was in college. Uh, <clears throat> now, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China. Uh, there was another country that almost got brought into BRICS, or maybe they are bringing into BRICS. I can't remember. Um, wait, does the S stand for something? I don't think the, I don't think the S stands for something. I could be wrong. Apologies to S if there are countries. Um, now, over the recent years, this hasn't quite gone as well as uh, global politics experts thought it would, um, partly because uh, Brazil is not doing as good as they were previously, economically. Um, Russia, not doing great economically. Um, so Tucker Carlson's question here is not meritless. China is the most powerful of the countries in BRICS. Um, and if BRICS were to come to some type of power, one would assume that China would dominate it. Much the way that America has dominated the West. Do you worry about that? Well, we have heard those boogeyman stories before. It is a boogeyman story. We're neighbors with China. You cannot choose neighbors just as you cannot choose close relatives. We share a border of 1,000 kilometers with them. This is number one. Second, we have a centuries-long history of coexistence. Where you know, except for that period where the Soviet Union was fucking with China, and so China decided to make a treaty with America. Used to it. Third, China's foreign policy philosophy is not aggressive. 
Its idea is to always look for compromise, and we can see that. The next point is as follows. We are always told the same boogeyman story, and here it goes again. Through an euphemistic form, but it is still the same boogeyman story. The cooperation with China keeps increasing. The pace at which China's cooperation with Europe is growing is higher and greater than that of the growth of Chinese-Russian cooperation. Ask Europeans, aren't they afraid? They might be, I don't know. But they are still trying to access China's market at all costs, especially now that they are facing economic problems. Chinese businesses are... So, he's not entirely wrong, but like... It is interesting how Putin is trying to frame everything as being someone else's problem. He's not afraid of anything. They don't have problems. Their economy is strong. Their economy is having problems. The ruble is still one of the lowest valued monies in the world, uh, at least as far as superpowers go. I'm sure there's some small third world countries that are uh, have a weaker currency than they do. But the ruble compared to the American dollar is still uh, trash. We're also exploring the European market. Do Chinese businesses have small presence in the United States? Yes, the political decisions are such that they are trying to limit their cooperation with China. It is to your own detriment, Mr. Tucker, that you are limiting cooperation with China. You are hurting yourself. So there are reasons that we have limited cooperation with China, although it is worth noting that a big slowdown on our cooperation with China was actually Donald Trump. So it's interesting. But like, how is this relevant to what Tucker Carlson is talking to Putin about? If you notice, Putin is consistently trying to flip everything back on the West when we're supposed to be talking about him. It is a delicate matter, and there are no silver bullet solutions, just as it is with the dollar. So, before introducing any illegitimate sanctions, illegitimate in terms of the Charter of the United Nations, one should think very carefully. For decision makers, this appears to be a problem. So you said a moment ago that the world would be a lot better if it weren't broken into competing alliances, if there was cooperation globally. One of the reasons you don't have that is because the current American administration is dead set against you. Do you think if there were a new administration after Joe Biden? We're dead. I, I would say, okay, first of all, actually, wait, I'm going to let Tucker finish this question. Biden, that you would be able to reestablish communication with the U.S. government? Or does it not matter who the president is? I will tell you, but let me finish the previous thought. Okay, well, in that case, I'm going to break into Tucker Carlson's question there a minute. Uh, it's an interesting question because, of course, Tucker Carlson also's major goal is to undermine Biden because that's what Tucker Carlson really likes to do is undermine Biden. Uh, because Tucker Carlson uh, is a grifter who wants that anti-Biden money. Now, if Putin tells him yes, then Tucker can use this against Biden. If he says no, 
that it doesn't matter. That makes it harder for him to use it against Biden. But I'm not saying he can't exploit it in some way. Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson Network, TCM. Oh, that's my God. We together with my colleague and friend, President Xi Jinping. It's amazing that someone can get caught lying to their audience as hard as Tucker Carlson got caught lying to his audience and still have an audience to support him. It's fucking wild. Set that goal to reach $200 billion of mutual trade with China this year. We have exceeded this level. According to our figures, our bilateral trade with China totals already $230 billion, and the Chinese statistics says it is $240 billion. It's also worth noting that the reason that those percentages of like how much they're trading with China and countries like um, Iran is uh, is interesting because uh, those numbers would go down if so many countries weren't not doing trade with him. This is kind of how the how the economy shifts. War is not great for economies. In fact, it used to be it used to be war was how people made money, but now the only people who make money off of war are people who, who sell weapons. But as a civilization, we haven't evolved past this yet somehow, because there are still people who believe that war is good and profitable. But the reality is, is that war stopped being profitable a long time ago. Now war comes with immense debt on society. And the only reason war used to be profitable is because war used to be a, a, a way you were allowed to steal people's shit. But now everybody has to help rebuild other countries because we're civilized. War is no longer super relevant, and Putin is being a dick. One more important thing. Our trade is well balanced, mutually complementary in high-tech, energy, scientific research, and development. He's just talking up Russia. He is just, he is just trying to say Russia good, American bad, America bad. Like, that's a heavy part of this. And, like, you shouldn't actually trust it, is what I'm saying. It is very balanced. As for BRICS, where Russia took over the presidency this year, the BRICS countries are... That's interesting by and large developing very rapidly look if memory serves me right back in 1992 the share of the g7 countries in the world economy amounted to 47 percent whereas in i feel very i am not qualified to talk on a lot of this in fact i mean arguably i have no qualifications i'm a comedian uh who just likes to get on the internet and be as lacklusterly funny as possible I'm just so dry. I am, I am like, I am dry like a cracker. I'm not using the word cracker as a, as a derogatory term here, by the way. I'm just saying, I'm a saltine, y'all. I actually wouldn't call myself a cracker because as a derogatory term, there are implications that come along with it beyond just being white. Just so everybody knows. I only know that because I've talked to to black people about it. Old black guy once told me I should never call someone a cracker, which was interesting. Uh, because, and that was how I found out it meant more than just white.
2022, it was down to, I think, a little over 30%. The BRICS countries accounted for only 16% in 1992, but now their share is greater than that of the G7. It has nothing to do with the events in Ukraine. This is due to the trends of global development and world economy, as I mentioned just now. And this is inevitable. This will keep happening. It is like the rise of the sun. You cannot prevent the sun from rising. You have to adapt to it. How do the United States adapt? With the help of force, sanctions, pressure, bombings, and use of armed forces. This is about self-conceit. Your political establishment does not understand that the world is changing. He is talking about this while literally invading another country. So just keep that in mind. He is talking about America's use of force, even though we are currently not using force against him. Sanctions, by the way, are not force. You could say that they are coercive. You could say that about sanctions, but a sanction by definition is not force because force implies that we are using some level of actual tactical violence. We are also not technically using force. We are sending weapons and aid to Ukraine. Now, is Ukraine using force? Yes, but Ukraine is using defensive force. Because no matter how convoluted of an explanation he has tried to give for why they're doing it, they are still the invaders. He is talking about he is literally making the argument that, like, America shouldn't stop trading with Russia. Now, he wouldn't be making that argument if he didn't want our money. If he didn't think that we would be somehow beneficial to him to still have that trade. Well, at the same time, he himself wants to prevent Ukraine from trading with the European Union. Because he wants to prevent him from, he wants to prevent them from being part of that because he wants Ukraine to be part of them. Under objective circumstances. And in order to preserve your level, even if someone aspires, pardon me, to the level of dominance, you have to make the right decisions in a competent and timely manner. Such brutal actions, including with regard to Russia and, say, other countries, are counterproductive. He is referring to sanctions and the stoppage of trade as brutal while he sends drones and missiles into another country's territory, killing civilians. This is an obvious fact. It has already become evident. You just asked me if another leader comes and changes something. It is not about the leader, it is not about the personality of a particular person. I had a very good relationship with, uh, say, Bush. I know that in the United States he was portrayed as some kind of a country boy who does not understand much. I assure you that this is not... To be fair, George W. Bush was not a country boy. George W. Bush is from, like, the Bush family, who are... Prescott Bush was from Ohio, and then his the rest of his family is from New England. And then he just happened to move to Texas, and his other brother moved to Florida, where they just picked up ridiculous, stupid accents. 
not the case. I think he made a lot of mistakes with regard to Russia too. I told you about 2008 and the decision in Bucharest to open the NATO's doors to for Ukraine. I want to note that he has not mentioned his relationship with Trump as being either positive nor negative so far. And so on. That happened during his presidency. He actually exercised pressure on the Europeans. But in general, on a personal human level, I had a very good relationship with him. He was no worse than any other American or Russian or European politician. I assure you, he understood what he was doing as well as others. I had such personal relationship with Trump as well. Up, 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 likes Trump. It is not about the personality of the leader, it is about the elite's mindset. If the idea of domination at any cost, based also on forceful actions, dominates the American society, nothing will change. It will only get worse. But if, in the end, one comes to the awareness that the world... He is literally trying to dominate another country. You need, to, you need to keep that in mind when he's saying shit like this. Don't get me wrong, I have tons of criticisms for the United States, our foreign policies, our stances on war. But here's the reality. He is the one doing an Iraq war right now. He is the one making up excuses to invade a country. I want to remind you that the concept of denazification would be like if Canada came down to the United States and just started forcing us to take down our Confederate flags and monuments. There's a lot, I would, I mean, I support taking that shit down because I think that those people are traitors to the United States of America. And that the fact that we allow them to have statues is fucking ridiculous. Like, that's insane. And I, I, I also would be in favor of taking down any statues to Banderos, but I don't live in Ukraine. Ukrainians themselves have to come to the conclusion that guys who worked with the Nazis, specifically because they wanted to fight the Russians, <clears throat> not good people, but it is not my job to tell Ukraine they can't do that. That would be like me suggesting that some other country should take care of the people in my country were into the confederacy i don't think that's a reason to invade america i do not think that i don't support the people who support the confederacy but i would object to another country invading us because we hadn't banned those statues statues i personally would take down world has been changing due to the objective circumstances and that one should be able to adapt to them in time using the advantages that the U.S. still has today, then perhaps something may change. Tucker makes the funniest faces while listening to Putin. Like, like he, he looks genuinely like, he looks genuinely surprised or confused. Or like he's not sure where Putin is going with any of this, which in fairness, because Putin's not really trying to go anywhere with it, I'm pretty confident he's trying to obfuscate the issues. Look, China's economy has become the first economy in the world in purchasing power parity. 
In terms of volume, it overtook the U.S. a long time ago. The USA comes second, then India, one and a half billion people, and then Japan, with Russia in the fifth place. Russia was the first economy in Europe last year, despite all the sanctions and restrictions. Is it normal from your point of view? Sanctions? Right? That seems weird. That money is worth so little. Restrictions, restrictions, impossibility of payments in dollars, being cut off from SWIFT services, sanctions against our ships carrying oil, sanctions against airplanes, sanctions in everything, everywhere. The largest number of sanctions in the world which are applied are applied against Russia. And we have become Europe's first economy during this time. The tools that U.S. uses don't work. Well, one has to think about what to do. If this realization comes to the ruling elites, then yes, then the first person of the state will act in anticipation of what the voters and the people who make decisions at various levels expect from this person. Then maybe something will change. But you're describing two different systems. You say that the leader acts in the interest of the voters, but you also say these decisions are not made by the leader, they're made by the ruling classes. <coughs> You've run this country for so long, you known all these American presidents, what are those power centers in the United States, do you think? Like, who actually makes the decisions? I don't know. America is a complex country, conservative on one hand, rapidly changing on the other. It's not easy for us to sort it all out. Who makes decisions in the elections? Is it possible to understand this when each state has its own legislation? Each state regulates itself? Someone can be excluded from elections at the state level. It is a two-stage electoral system. It is very difficult for us to understand it. Certainly there are two parties that are dominant, the Republicans and the Democrats, and within this party system the centers that make decisions, that prepare decisions. Then, look, why in my opinion... Okay, I don't know where he got his numbers, but Russia, according to the financial experts at admittedly an American company, Yahoo, who notes they did not include Turkey in Europe as it is a relatively small area in Europe compared to Asia, actually listed Russia as 12th, not number one in 2023 a GDP per capita of $35,000. GDP, general GDP was $5 trillion. We'll admit it's a, lot of it's a lot of money. Now, Romania, as far as GDP, beat them with $41,000 per, per capita, but made overall less. So, I mean, that's what per, ca per capita means is per person. You know that. You know that. Number 10 was Poland with 45,000. Now, if I'm, okay, looking at these numbers, he might be talking about whole numbers, but it looks like per capita, they didn't do as well as other countries. Number 10 is Poland. Number nine is Spain. Italy. Number eight, United Kingdoms. Is number seven. Number six is France. 
Belgium, number five. Germany, number four. Netherlands is number three. Switzerland is number two. What? Ireland is number Ireland was number one. Didn't see that coming. But Ireland's GDP per capita is actually a wild 137,000. Uh, now, that is per capita. In terms of whole numbers, let's see here. Germany's economy's GDP was 5.54 trillion. The Russia's, okay, no, actually in whole numbers, Germany still wins. Russia was a little behind them. So he's actually wrong. He's wrong about the size of his economy, which is hilarious because he's the fucking president of this country. Um, now, to be fair, in terms of whole numbers, in terms of whole GDP, his country did should would have been ranked second. Still would have been behind Germany in terms of whole GDP. Now, in GDP per capita, he is in 12th with number of other countries beating him out. And after the collapse of the Soviet Union, such an erroneous, crude, completely... We noted that both he and I are referencing numbers from last year, not this year, which just started. Unjustified policy of pressure was pursued against Russia. After all, this is a policy of pressure. NATO expansion... Yes. Yes, that's, that's how politics works. How, how does Putin think America should deal with his behavior? Like, how would Putin deal with someone else's behavior that was equivalent to this? Support for the separatists in Caucasus, creation of a missile defense system. These are all elements of pressure. Pressure, pressure. No, no, no. You can't say our, our, our designing of a U.S. defense system is pressure on you. That's not how that works. We are entitled to have a missile defense system to protect us from nuclear annihilation. You're not even the only country that has nukes. And like several other countries that have serious beef with us are also pursuing nuclear weapons programs like North Korea, although North Korea's technological levels are pathetic and whether or not they could ever make a missile that would reach us, who knows, but who knows? Maybe they'd buy some shit from Russia. We have reasons to have a nuclear missile defense system besides you. You are not the only nuclear power in the world besides us. There, it's not just the two of us. You are not entitled to tell us we can't make a nuclear missile defense system. As long as nukes exist, there is reason to have a nuclear missile defense system. In fact, I would say that having a nuclear missile defense system is a more responsible response than just to continue making more and more nukes. Like, do you understand that this goes both ways, Putin? You making more and more nukes when we make a missile defense system doesn't make us, makes us feel like the missile defense system is justified. You are part of the acceleration. Stop acting like you're not involved. Pressure. Then dragging Ukraine into NATO is all about pressure, pressure, pressure. Why? 
are we dragging them or do they want to join? You have to understand that these are two separate concepts. Us dragging them into NATO would be us forcibly making them join, join NATO. And I would say that would be weird as hell. I would not be in favor of that. Wouldn't be in favor of that at all. However, Russia should not get a say in whether or not they want to join NATO. Do you understand? It's like it's like try, trying to control other countries' behaviors is like trying to control another person's behavior. You can only control it so much. And at the end of the day, the only thing you can really control is your own behavior. I think, among other things, because excessive production capacities were created. During the confrontation with the Soviet Union, there were many centers created and specialists on the Soviet Union who could not do anything else. They convinced the political leadership that it is necessary to continue chiseling Russia, to try to break it up, to create on this territory several quasi-state entities and to subdue them in a divided form, to use their combined potential for the future struggle with China. This is a mistake, including the excessive potential of those who worked for the confrontation with the Soviet Union. It is necessary. Going back to this again, like it seems like he just really resents the idea that these countries were given their autonomy. He hasn't really said much about the other countries that were given their autonomy, but it seems like this is a thing he takes serious issue with Lenin's doing. Necessary to get rid of this. There should be new, fresh forces people who look into the future and understand what is happening in the world. Look at how Indonesia is developing. 600 million people. Where can we get away from that? Nowhere. We just have to assume that Indonesia will enter, it is already in, the club of the world's leading economies, no matter who likes it or dislikes it. Yes, we understand and are aware that in the United States, despite all the economic problems, the situation is still normal, with the economy growing decently. The GDP is growing by 2.5%, if I'm not mistaken. But if we want to ensure the future, then we need to change our approach to what is changing. As I already said, the world would nevertheless change, regardless of how the developments in Ukraine end. The world is changing. In the United States themselves, experts are writing that the United States are nonetheless gradually changing their position in the world. It is your experts who write that. I just read them. The only question is how this would happen, painfully and quickly, or gently and gradually. And this is written by people who are not anti-American. They simply follow global development trends. That's it. I, I just looked this up, and um, I'm not going to say that he's he's wrong about these things, but it is worth noting that even if he is correct, China, the United States is still the number one ranked economy in the world. And I know I took a shot at Brazil, but they are ranked 10. Like, the according to this, according to what I just uh, looked up here on, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the Hell website is it? Gagran? Josh? Gagranjosh.com. Maybe this. You know what? I don't feel good about this website. It looks weird. 
Uh, and by that, I don't. I've never heard of. Never heard of that. Indonesia is the sixteenth largest economy, which is not bad. It's in the top twenty. Still hasn't broke the top ten yet, though. There, Putin. And in order to assess them and change policies, we need people who think, look forward, can analyze and recommend certain decisions at the level of political leaders. I just have to ask, you've said clearly that NATO... I very much doubt Tucker Carlson will ask him about his... about the culture wars of Russia. And, you know, how Russia is currently actively censoring positive representation of homosexuals and other members of the LGBTQ community. Expansion <coughs> eastward is a violation of the promise you all were made in 1990. <coughs> it, it's a threat to your country. Right before you send troops into Ukraine, the Vice President of the United States went to the Munich Security Conference and encouraged the President of Ukraine to join NATO. Do you think that was an effort to provoke you into military action? That is a fair, I mean, first, I very much suspect that he will feel that way. But B, Tucker, what the fuck was that? Okay, man? Uh, did you, that question lines up perfectly with Russian propaganda and also his paranoid worldview. So uh, I assume he'll say yes. Let's see if he surprises me. I repeat once again, we have repeatedly, repeatedly proposed to seek a solution to the problems that arose in Ukraine after 20... I actually do think letting Russia into NATO makes a certain amount of sense. I will say that. That being said, uh, Russia has made themselves a serious problem on the Security Council uh, because they basically oppose any time that other governments want to intervene in what seems like questionable violence inside of countries. Russia's put their foot down on that stuff. And it's why the Russian, the security, the UN Security Council barely does anything at all. 2014 coup d'etat through peaceful means. But no one listened to us. And moreover, the Ukrainian leaders who were under the complete US control suddenly. There's no evidence for that. There is zero evidence for the concept that Ukrainian leaders are com under complete US control. Once again, he is just. AQing it, America questioning it, or Western questioning it. It's a big conspiracy. America has all the power and yet is also falling and making huge mistakes. They declared that they would not comply with the Minsk agreements. They disliked everything there and continued military activity in that territory. And in parallel, that territory was being exploited by NATO military structures under the guise of various personnel training and retraining centers. They essentially began to create bases there. That's all. Ukraine announced that the... Now, in fairness, that should be measurable. We should be able to measure... Now, I don't have this data, and I don't know if Putin has this data, and I don't know how honest he's being about this data. But there should be some pretty clear indicators in the differences between a training center and an actual base. I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know the situation with the bases slash training centers. 
I don't trust Putin's narrative, but I will say that there should be some type of measurable differences between those facilities. Russians were a non-titular nationality while passing the laws that limit the rights of non-titular nationalities in Ukraine. Ukraine, having received all these southeastern territories as a gift from the Russian people, suddenly announced that the Russians were a non-titular nationality in that territory. Is that normal? Everything, I, everything I've heard about Ukraine indicates that the concept of Russians being treated as second-class citizens is largely an exaggeration created by Russian state media. I have I've found no real evidence for this. Russia claims that speaking Russian has been banned in Ukraine, but there are still lots of places in Ukraine where people speak Russian. So it's just like, where is the evidence for this? All this put together led to the decision to end the war that neo-Nazis started in Ukraine in 2014. Neo-Nazis did not start a war in Ukraine in 2014. Russian separatists started a war in Ukraine in 2014, and then Russia invaded, and then far-right militias were the only people prepared to fight Russia. That is the actual series of events. Do you, do you think Zelensky has the freedom to negotiate a settlement to this conflict? I don't know the details. Of course, it's difficult. What? Why, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? Oh, right, because they need to subtly suggest that he's controlled by the West. Never mind the fact that there's no real evidence for this. It's all just a lot of posturing. And let me be clear. I, my mind can be changed by evidence. If you have evidence that Ukraine is secretly shadow governmented by the United States, please let me know. For me to judge. But I believe he has, in any case, he used to have. His father fought against the fascists. Nazis during World War II. I once talked to him about this. I said, Volodya, what are you doing? Why are you supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine today while your father fought against fascism? He was a frontline soldier. I will not tell you what he answered. This is a separate topic and I... I will not tell you what he answered. What? Why not? There are so many things that he sets up and just leaves in the viewer's mind. And it's like, but I cannot tell you what happened. I don't know what that voice was. I can do better Russian than that. But he just... Oh. I think it's incorrect for me to do so. But as to the freedom of choice, why not? He came to power on the expectations of Ukrainian people that he would lead Ukraine to peace. He talked about this. It was thanks to this that he won the elections overwhelmingly. But then, when he came to power, in my opinion, he realized two things. Firstly, it is better not to clash with neo-Nazis and nationalists because they are aggressive and very active. 
you can expect anything from them. And secondly, the US-led West supports them and will always support those who antagonize with Russia. It is so there's a lot going on there. First of all, bad faith. Second of all, the fact that Zelensky is not currently engaged in peace is your fault. So a thing a lot of people overlook is that wars only wars only end when the invaders decide that the war has ended. That's the only way that war ends, is that invaders choose to be pacifists and choose to stop invading. We can believe in pacifism all day, all night, but if our enemies don't, it means nothing. Because a world where it is unevenly decided on pacifism is a world where, the, where those who do not believe in pacifism are just biding their time to crush the pacifists. The only person who can truly stop the war in Ukraine is Putin. Why? Because Putin is invading. What else would end this conflict besides Putin deciding that it's over? The reality is that it's either over when he gives up or gets what he wants. Jesus said to turn the other cheek, but he also said it was okay to own a sword in case bandits robbed you, tried to rob you on the highway is beneficial and safe so he took the relevant position despite promising his people to end the war in ukraine he deceived his voters but do you think it not deceive his voters you invaded his fucking country it, it's hard to be a peacetime president when you're being fucking invaded it's not not how things work this point, as of February 2024, he has the latitude, the freedom to speak with you or your government directly about putting an end to this, which clearly isn't helping his country. Putin is like the abusive husband who's saying, why are you making me hit you? That's what he's doing. For the world. Can he do that, do you think? Why <laughs> not? Why not? He considers himself head of state. He won the elections. Although we believe in Russia that the coup d'etat is the primary source of power for everything that happened after 2014. And it wasn't a coup d'etat. It wasn't a coup d'etat because the government was fundamentally unchanged. But I said that earlier. I said that earlier. I just... He keep, he's going to keep coming back to these talking points that he's invented. Because that's where these talking points come from. Unless, unless Russia wants to release the evidence they have that prove these claims they make all the time, I'm just going to have to assume they're making it up. Because it's a lie that is in their state's interest. He needs the war to look as justified as possible because that's a major function in war in this modern era. Well, actually, technically, we're in the digital era, but that's besides the point. The point is, is that with our contemporary lens, he needs the war to seem justified. The same way that America needed the invasion of Iraq to seem justified. What does this have to do in common with the war in Iraq? Well, their invasions based on bullshit. Just stuff we made up.
And in this sense, even today, government is flawed. But he considers himself the president and he is recognized by the United States, all of Europe and practically... Because he was elected. He did not come to power through that coup. And which also, once again, not a coup. ...the rest of the world in such a capacity. Why not? You can. We negotiated with Ukraine in Istanbul. We agreed. He was aware of this. Moreover, the negotiation group leader, Mr. Arachemia is his last name, I believe still heads the faction of the ruling party, the party of the president in the Rada. He still heads the presidential faction in the Rada, the country's parliament. He still sits there. He even put his preliminary signature on the document I am telling you about. But then he publicly stated to the whole world, we were ready to sign this document, but Mr. Johnson, then the Prime Minister of Great Britain, came and dissuaded us from doing this, saying it was better to fight Russia. They would give everything. I'm not going to defend Boris Johnson. I don't know if what he just described, what he just said happened, but I want to remind everyone that Boris Johnson is not from America and Boris Johnson's politics are closer to Trump's than they are to Biden's needed for us to return what was lost during the clashes with Russia, and we agreed with this proposal. Look, his statement has been published, he said it publicly. Can they return to this or not? The question is, do they want it or not? Further on, President Ukraine issued a decree prohibiting negotiations with us. Let him cancel that decree, and that's it. We have never refused negotiations, indeed. We hear all the time, is Russia ready? Yes, we have not refused. It was them who publicly refused. Well, let him cancel his decree and enter into negotiations. We have never refused. And the fact that they obeyed the demand or persuasion of Mr. Johnson, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, seems ridiculous and very sad to me. Because, as Mr. Arakamiya put it, we could have stopped those hostilities with war a year and a half ago already. I will say, uh, yeah, just the same. I don't agree with Boris Johnson. If they did this, I don't agree with Boris Johnson necessarily doing that. However, also, the implication he's trying to make here is that Boris Johnson somehow controlled Zelensky. However, technically speaking, even if, the, if this did occur, then all we really have is that he talked to Zelensky and Zelensky changed his mind based on what Boris Johnson said. That does not necessarily inherently mean control. It does imply influence. But all human beings are under some level of that kind of influence all the time. Would it be fair for us to say that someone talks to Putin and then suddenly Putin changes his mind, that Putin is under their control? Now, Putin seems like an asshole, so he might not change his mind about anything. Common trait among assholes. But the British persuaded us and we refused this. Where is Mr. Johnson now? And the war continues. That's a good question. Where do you think he is and why did he do that? 
Hell knows. I don't understand it myself. There was a general starting point. For some reason, everyone had the illusion that Russia could be defeated on the battlefield. Because of arrogance, because of a pure heart, but not because of a great mind. I mean, Russia is in a quagmire when it comes to actually on the battlefield. So he, so this tells you how, how much he is about putting forward a strong face in spite of the realities of his own situation. Because he's a strong man leader. So he has to. A strong man leader can never truly be honest with his people. Because sometimes that honesty will belay some type of weakness and the reality is that all human beings have weaknesses but a strong man must lie to his people to hide those weaknesses because their brand is their strength if their strength appears at any time to be in a more human level they will lose face with their people whether or not this is how it actually plays out is also irrelevant because it's how strong men leaders believe it will play out You've described uh, the connection between Russia and Ukraine. You've described Russia itself a couple of times as Why name this echoey ass hall? Like, did no, was no one like, do you have a room with better acoustics? Although in fairness, I just noticed it. Orthodox, that's central to your understanding of Russia. You said you're orthodox. What does that mean in, for you? You're a Christian leader. Was it echoing this bad before? Like. You can hear the reverberation of the hall, right? So it's not, I, I don't know how loud it is on your end. By your own description. So what effect does that have on you? You know, as I already mentioned in 988, Prince Vladimir himself was baptized following the example of his grandmother, Princess Olga. He just went back to a century that only had three digits. And then he baptized his squad. And then, gradually, over the course of several years, he baptized all the Rus. It was a lengthy process, from pagans to Christians. It took many years. But in the end, this orthodoxy, Eastern Christianity, deeply rooted itself in the consciousness of the Russian people. When Russia expanded and absorbed other nations who profess Islam, Buddhism and Judaism, Russia has always been very loyal to those people who profess other religions. This is her strength. This is absolutely clear. And the fact is... Hold up, hold up, hold up. The government of the Soviet Union followed an unofficial policy of state atheism, aiming to gradually eliminate religious belief within its borders. While it never officially made religion illegal, the state nevertheless made great efforts to reduce the prevalence of religious belief within society. From 1928 until World War II, when some restrictions were relaxed, the totalitarian dictators shuttered churches, synagogues, and mosques in order the killing and imprisonment of thousands of religious leaders in an effort to eliminate even the concept of God. So apparently, um, it was never officially made illegal, but between 1928 and World War II, where there were 
there were heavy restrictions put on religion and numerous churches and religious leaders were either shut down or killed. But apparently World War II, uh, actually re after World War II, they relaxed uh, those laws. So that's, that's interesting that World War II brought, sort of uh, made them ease up on the religious people. There were periods when Soviet authorities suppressed and persecuted various forms of Christianity to different extents, depending on state interest. So he just straight up lying about Christianity in Russia, trying to make it sound like it's always been popular there, which is similar to what some Christian nationalists do here in America. That the main postulates, main values are very similar, not to say the same in all world religions I've just mentioned, and which are the traditional religions yet religions kill each other over it even though they agree on so much they still kill each other over the over the minutia fascinating of the russian federation russia by the way russian authorities were always very careful about the culture and religion of those people who came into the russian empire this, in my opinion, forms the basis of both security and stability of the Russian statehood. All the peoples inhabiting Russia basically consider it their motherhood. If, say, people move over to you or to Europe from Latin America, an even clearer and more understandable example, people come but yet they have come to you or to European countries from their historical homeland. And people who profess different religions in Russia consider Russia their motherland. They have no other motherland. So, I don't know if people in Russia really feel that way, but there is a lot of reason to believe that he would say that even if they didn't. Because historically, that is the type of talking points that people in his position of power give. Now, it sounded like he was making some allusions to the weakness of American culture. Uh, we'll see if he comes back around to that. But, uh, but yeah, no, this is exactly what I would expect him to say. Um, because if, when, when you're a nationalist, you put the state first. Now, Christian nationalists want to intertwine Christianity and the state so that putting the state first is still putting Christianity first. But when he calls, when he says these people who moved to Russia consider Russia their motherland, this is very much a nationalistic concept. Those people need to give up their, their cultures and whatnot. Now, what's funny is he was literally using the opposite of comparison earlier to talk about Hungarians in Ukraine to basically imply that parts of U Ukraine should actually belong to Hungary. Hungary. Hungary sounds like a guy named Gary with a big dick. Or a man who's been executed by, for a crime. We are together. This is one big family. In the Wild West. I don't, I don't think we hang people now. Do we? And our traditional values are very similar. I've just mentioned one big family, but everyone has his, her own family. And this is the basis of our society. 
And if we say that the motherland and the family are specifically connected with each other, it is indeed the case, since it is impossible to ensure a normal future for our children and our families unless we ensure a normal, sustainable future for the entire country, for the motherland. That is why patriotic sentiment is so strong in Russia. But can I, can I say that the, the one way in which the religions are different is that Christianity is specifically a nonviolent religion. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, don't kill. That ain't true that he says that. But uh, it, 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 it's wild how many people just don't listen to that specific rule. Even Tucker Carlson doesn't really listen to that specific rule. How can a leader who has to kill of any country, how can a leader be a Christian? How do you reconcile that to yourself? I'm not going to lie. That is a worthwhile que question to ask Chris, uh, Christian nationalists. Self. It is very easy when it comes to protecting oneself and one's family, one's homeland. We won't attack anyone. When did the development... You already did. You already did. He is... Who is invading whose country right now, bro? Even if... Even if... Even if... The Ukrainians we're doing violence to to russian separatists in their country inside their own borders that is not an attack on russia and all, and there are plenty of countries in the world that do not get international intervention even from neighbors when that shit happens so it is not a justification for you to invade their country i mean to be fair if that shit's going on, we should get the UN to investigate any type of genocidal or violence towards other ethnic groups in a country. Although, to be fair, Russia themselves has stopped the UN from investigating those types of things at numerous points in the past. So, you know, let the hypocrisy reign. Developments Ukraine starts. What's sure. Since the coup d'etat and the hostilities in Donbass, lots of countries have coups. How many of them get invaded because they have a coup? I'll, I'll, the answer is a lot of them don't. So the question still becomes what is Russia's vested interest in invading Ukraine? You can indicate that separatists had a coup, but that still implies that you have an invested interest in separatists fighting their own country. And yet he ignores the separatists' actions. It, it's, it's wild. What he has not stated Russia, anything that would give Russia a vested interest in invading this country.
he is just putting up as many smoke screens as possible as many justifications giving multiple justifications not all of these justifications even line up with each other he's just giving as many as possible because the if you give as many as possible at least one of them is going to seem reasonable to to some individual out there has begun that's when they started and we're protecting our people ourselves our homeland and our future by invading land you don't own like the only thing he said that actually makes sense is that he doesn't believe these countries should have their own autonomy that he thinks lenin was wrong that is the only re real reason he has given and it is the one he has gestured to the least because that is the one he doesn't want you to think too hard about because that is the one that implies that he is rebuilding the russian empire as for religion in general you know it's not about external manifestations it's not about going to church every day or banging your head on the floor because the truth is, is that most fascists would indicate to religion, but they don't actually believe in any religion. They just value religion's ability to subdue the masses. It is in the heart. And our culture is so human-oriented. Dostoevsky, who was very well known in the West and the genius of Russian culture, Russian literature, spoke a lot about this, about the Russian soul. After all, Western society is more pragmatic. Russian people think more about the eternal, about moral values. I don't know, maybe you won't agree with me, but Western culture is more pragmatic after all. I'm not saying... Making this constant gesture back to Christianity, which is exceptionally fascinating considering the history of Russia. Like, he is deliberately skipping over the periods where, where the state was heavily oppressive towards religion. It's clear they never, apparently they never officially made it illegal, but they would still oppress Christians and Muslims and Jews inside of the Soviet Union. Stalin killed off a bunch of Jewish doctors, which ironically was one of the reasons he died because they couldn't get a qualified doctor to him in time. Now, to be fair, his guards also left him on the floor for hours because they were afraid to enter the room without his consent. Yeah, having people afraid of you isn't always good for you. But uh, move along. Saying this is bad, it makes it possible for today's golden billion to achieve good success in production, even in science and so on. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that we kind of look the same. But our well, so, minds so are do you see the different. supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world now? Do you see God at work? Do you ever think to yourself? This could get interesting. Self, these are forces that are not human. No, to be honest, I don't think so.
I mean, it's a little disappointing. It's a little disappointing to answer, but like, let, let's see how he justifies it. I was still not entirely surprised though. My opinion is that the development of the world community is in accordance with the inherent laws. And those laws are what they are. Oh yeah, no, he doesn't actually believe in God. He, do he doesn't actually believe in the supernatural. He just believes in natural law, and he thinks that religion enforces this set of natural laws. Because like all fascists, he's secretly running on vibes. It's always been this way in the history of mankind. Some nations and countries rose. Hey, it's always, in the, it's always this way in the history of mankind when you just ignore parts of history that, you, that are convenient to ignore came stronger and more numerous and then left the international stage losing the status they had accustomed to there's probably no need for me to give examples but we could start with the genghis khan and horde conquerors the golden horde and then end with the roman empire it seems to be fair genghis khan and the roman empire exceptionally different cultures and forms of empire very different let's see see what he says about this seems that there has never been anything like the roman empire in the history of mankind that depends on how you feel about the other empires that predate it like prussia um I, i'm sorry the persians not the prussians the persians uh, Ethiopia, um, Alexander the Great, who was, who was Greek, uh, established a pretty wide empire. Um, so I don't know, I don't know if you could say that there's never been anything like the Roman Empire. I mean, the Roman Empire had the widest margin of success in Europe that I can think of, of any empire. Um, I mean, then there was that guy in China who eventually conquered all of China and united it into one country. Uh, I, I don't know if Putin actually knows much about history. I mean, I guess you could argue, I mean, how, how much not like anything else were the Romans? Like, how, how fine of details do we have to get down to between, before we get to, okay, fine, no one was like the Romans. Nevertheless, the potential of the barbarians gradually grew, as did their population. In general, the barbarians were getting stronger and began to develop economically, as we would say today. This eventually led to the collapse of the Roman Empire and the regime imposed by the Romans. However, it took five centuries for the Roman Empire to fall apart. The difference with what is happening now is that all the processes of change are happening at a much faster pace than in Roman times. So when does the AI empire start, do you think? Took a jump there. I mean, it's topical. So I can't be totally surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Putin thinks that question is funny. <laughs> You're asking increasingly more complicated questions. 
To answer them, you need to be an expert in big numbers, big data, and AI. Judging by the way Putin's handling a lot of this stuff, he is not an expert in anything except manipulation. And is currently facing many threats. Due to the genetic researches, it is now possible to create a superhuman, a specialized human being, a genetically engineered athlete, scientist, military man. Um, excuse me, but are you saying the Winter Soldier is real? There are reports that Elon Musk has already had a chip implanted in the human brain in the USA. Yep. Transhumanism. Here today. I hope you're all ready to get all Cyberpunk 2077 up in this bitch. What do you think of that? Well, it really doesn't matter, but I am curious what he's going to say. Well, I think there's no stopping Elon Musk. He will do as he sees fit. <laughs> Nevertheless, I'm not going to lie. If someone told me that Elon Musk was actually a Russian asset, uh, that wouldn't shock me at all. If someone told me that Steven Seagal is a Russian asset, totally unsurprised steven seagal is friends with this guy steven seagal is friends with putin i'm pretty sure steven seagal currently lives in russia and i wouldn't be surprised if that was related to that one time that supposedly a sex slave escaped steven seagal's house i've heard that ha supposedly that happened i don't know if it's real or something from the inquirer but it sounds like the thing that steven seagal would do steven seagal he's a weird fucking guy and also, if you've ever heard Steven Seagal talk about politics, he got pretty bad politics. You need to find some common ground with him, search for ways to persuade him. I think he's a smart person, I truly believe he is. So you need to reach an agreement with him because this process needs to be formalized and subjected to certain rules. Even Putin out here, sucking Elon Musk's dick. Which is, a, which is a sign that Putin is an egomaniac. Because only people who are really into themselves like Elon Musk. In fact, right now I think of Elon Musk as just a guy who fucks things up. The next time your friend does something stupid and messes and ruins something, you get, here's what you say. You say, oh, God damn it, Brandon, just musking it up. Because that's what Elon Musk has been doing the last couple years. Just going in there and musking it up. Humanity has to consider what is going to happen due to the newest development in genetics or in AI. One can make an approximate prediction of what will happen. Once mankind felt an existential threat coming from nuclear weapons, all nuclear nations began to come to terms with one another since they realized the negligent use of nuclear weaponry could drive humanity to extinction. 
генетики либо еще каких-то современных направлений. It is impossible to stop research in genetics or AI today, just as it was impossible to stop the use of gunpowder back in the day. But as soon as we realize that the threat comes from unbridled and uncontrolled development of AI, or genetics, or any other field, the time will come to reach an international agreement on how to regulate these things. I, I appreciate all the time uh, you've given us. I just got to ask you one last question, and that's about someone who's very famous in the United States, probably not here. I wonder who it would be. Evan Gershkovitz, who's the Wall Street Journal reporter, he's 32, um, and he's been in prison for almost a year. Uh, this is a huge story in the United States, and I just want to ask you directly, without getting into the details of it or your version of what happened, if as a sign of your decency, you would be willing to release him to us and we'll bring him back. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, I know who it is. I assume Putin knows about him. Back to the United States. We have done so many gestures of goodwill. I just want to say, I think that this is very interesting because it's an obvious, like, ploy on Tucker Carlson's part. Because if Tucker Carlson can get Putin to release this guy, Tucker Carlson's going to look like a fucking hero. Uh, that being said, I actually don't think Putin, I, I don't think Putin will do it. And not just because I haven't heard anything in the media about this guy getting released. Out of decency that I think we have run out of them. We have never seen anyone reciprocate to us in a similar manner. However, Russia playing the victim. In theory, we can say that we do not rule out that we can do that if our partners take reciprocal steps. Translation, yeah, we can give you that guy back, but not for free. When I talk about the partners, I, first of all, refer to special services. Special services are in contact with one another. They are talking about the matter in question. There is no taboo to settle this issue. We are willing to solve it. But there are certain terms being discussed via special services channels. I believe an agreement can be reached. So typically, I mean, this stuff has happened. So basically like, hey man, people are talking, people are already on this. I'm not giving you an answer. We're going to get something out of it too for obviously centuries one country catches another spy within its borders it trades it for a, one of its own intel guys in another country i think what makes <coughs> the, and it's not my business but what makes this difference is the guy's obviously not a spy he's a kid and maybe he was breaking your law in some way but he's not a super spy and everybody knows that and he's being held hostage in exchange which is true with respect it's true and everyone knows it's true so maybe Ooh, this should get spicy let's see what Putin says to this. Maybe he's in a different category. Maybe it's not fair to ask for, you know, somebody else in exchange for letting him out. Maybe you have to...
Tucker's really, I think Tucker's really trying here. Tucker, Tucker sees that anything he does on this topic is an absolute win for him as a media figure. So, oh boy, let's see where, see how hard he tries. Grades Russia to do that. Russia's not nice, Tucker. Russia's not just going to do it to be nice. You know, you can give different interpretations to what constitutes a spy, but there are certain things. A spy is whatever I say it is, Tucker. You bitch. Things provided by law. If person gets secret information and does that in conspiratorial manner, then this is a qualified as espionage. And that is exactly what he was doing. He was receiving classified confidential information and he did it covertly. Maybe he did that out of carelessness or his own initiative. Considering the sheer fact this is qualified as espionage, the fact has been proven as he was caught red-handed when he was receiving this information. If it had been some far-fetched excuse, some fabrication, something not proven, it would have been a different story then. But he was caught red-handed when he was secretly getting confidential information. What is it then? But are you suggesting that he was working for the U.S. government or NATO, or he was just a... No. No, Tucker. Do you not hear what he just said? He literally just said, hey, man, we don't care if he wasn't working for anyone. He was doing an act we categorized as espionage, regardless of the, further, the surrounding context. So, Tucker, I mean, it's still a win for him because it looks like he's doing the benevolent thing and trying to rescue this American. It's not going to, I mean, it's not going to play off or get the attention it would get if he su succeeded. But, like, it's still a win for him, technically, because he a fake bitch reporter who was given material he wasn't supposed to have. Those seem like very different, very different things. I don't know who he was working for, but I would like to reiterate that getting classified information in secret is called espionage, and he was working for the U.S. Special Services some other agencies okay all right so now he is claiming the guy was working for some u.s special aid agencies so he is, putin is a shifty slimy dude i don't think he was working for monaco as monaco is hardly interested in getting that information it is up to special services to come to an agreement. Some groundwork has been laid. Interesting that he pointed out Monaco specifically, because that's not a country most... It's not a country, at least here in America, that we think about a lot. So that's interesting that that was specifically the country he was like, I'm going to rule out Monaco. Does Russia think more about Monaco than us? Maybe. There are people who, in our view, are not connected with special services. Let me tell you a story about a person serving a sentence in a... Wait, is the, is the reporter connected to Monaco somehow? I thought he said he was from New York. ...an allied country of the U.S. 
That person, due to patriotic sentiments, eliminated the bandit in one of the European capitals. During the events in the Caucasus, do you know what he was doing? I don't want to say that, but I will do it anyway. He was laying our soldiers, taken prisoner, on the road and then drove his car over their heads. What kind of person is that? Can he even be called human? Who the hell are we talking about? But there was a patriot who eliminated him in one of the European capitals. Whether he did it of his own volition or not, that is a different question. Yeah, but Evan Gershkovitz didn't do that. I mean, that's a completely different... I mean, I mean, this is a 32-year-old... Like, yeah, no, those are not really comparable at all, bro. He, like, by your own definition, this guy just received secret information. He committed something different. He's not just a journalist. I reiterate, he's a journalist who was secretly getting confidential information. Yes, it is different, but... It has to be noted that that's a thing that journalists do a lot. Um, so it's very, it makes sense that a, that a state that is authoritarian as his would define that as a form of espionage and not a like freedom of the press type thing. Still, I'm talking about other people who are essentially controlled by the US authorities, wherever. And we're back to this again. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm, America spreads influence both legally and in ways that I don't know how legal they are. But I would need evidence that we specifically outright control a country that is not ours. Influence, obviously. Control is a bigger thing. They are serving a sentence. There is an ongoing dialogue between the special services. This has to be resolved in a calm, responsible and professional manner. They are keeping in touch, so let them do their work. I do not rule out that the person you refer to, Mr. Gershkovitz, may return to his motherland. By the end of the day, it does not make any sense to keep him in prison in Russia. We want the U.S. Special Services to think about how they can contribute to achieving the goals our Special Services are pursuing. We are ready to talk. Moreover, the talks are on their way. And there... Hey, man, we, we want you to have the guy back. We want to give him back to you, you know, just not for free. There have been many successful examples of these talks crowned with success. Probably this is going to be crowned with success as well. But we have to come to an agreement. I hope you let him out. Mr. President, thank you. <laughs> I also want him to return to his homeland at last. I'm absolutely sincere. But let me say once again, the dialogue continues. The more public we render things of this nature, the more difficult it becomes to resolve them. Everything has to be done in calm manner. I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's true with the, with the war, though, also. I mean, I just want to, I guess I want to ask one more question, which is, and maybe you don't want to say so for strategic reasons, 
But are you worried that what's happening in Ukraine could lead to something much larger and much more horrible? And how motivated are you just to call the U.S. government and say, let's come to terms? I don't know if Putin will respond honestly to this question for two reasons. One, he wants to be a strongman leader. And what Tucker Carlson has basically implied is, is there a point at which you will give and be the one to call the United States about ending this? Now, Putin might strategically want think of a way to make his answer make him seem like the reasonable person in this conversation which he's relatively good at doing without making himself look like a bitch although i will point out that this is a man who tranquilizes tigers so he can shoot them and pretend like he hunted tigers so let's see if he answers <laughs> I already said that we did not refuse to talk. We are willing to negotiate. We did not refuse to talk. We are willing to negotiate. You have basically, you come to us, bitch. It is the Western side, and Ukraine is obviously a satellite state of the U.S. It is I need evidence. We do not have evidence. I do not want you to take it as if I'm looking for a strong word or an insult, but we both understand what is happening. The financial support, 72 billion US dollars was provided. Germany ranks 72 billion dollars worth of aid. That includes the munitions themselves as well as like food as well as what other other i don't actually know the other types of non-munition supplies we're sending them but i know we're sending non-munition type supplies to them most of that stuff is given in the forms of goods and services of that value i'm sure there's some money in the package as well i just want you to understand that those are the same package they're counted as the same price tag second then other european countries come dozens of billions of us dollars are going course, to ukraine yeah. there's a huge influx of weapons in this case you should tell the current ukrainian leadership to stop and come to negotiating table rescind this absurd decree we did not refuse sure but you already said it i didn't think you meant it as an insult because you already said correctly it's been reported that Ukraine was prevented from negotiating a peace settlement by the former British Prime Minister. Wasn't prevented, he was persuaded. Those are not the same thing. ...on behalf of the Biden administration. So of course they're a satellite, big countries control small countries, that's not new. And that's why I asked about dealing directly with the Biden administration, which is making these decisions, not President Zelensky of Ukraine. Whoa, Tucker. Tucker, Tucker, you think that Joe Biden is making Zelensky's decisions for him? The polling data from Ukraine indicates that Ukrainians want to fight. The actions of the Ukrainians in the days of the initial invasion leading up to now indicate that they want to fight. 
Is that Joe Biden? Ну, если администрация Зеленского на Украине отказалась от переговоров, well, if the Zelensky administration in Ukraine refused to negotiate, I assume they did it under the instruction from Washington. Why would you assume that? Why, ha why do they have no autonomy? Why is it that Ukraine can't be the ones who don't want to negotiate? I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm saying, how is he coming to that conclusion? Come to that conclusion because it's the one that's convenient for him and the message he's trying to put out. Washington believes it to be the wrong decision. Let it abandon it. Let it find a delicate excuse so that no one is insulted. Let it come up with a way out. It was not us who made this decision. It was them. So let them go back on it. That is it. Putin, Putin, is Putin is trying to make it, Putin, honestly, what, what is this? What is this really? This is Putin trying to undermine America's support of Ukraine. That's what he wants. He wants American slack-jawed idiots in America to see this, think he's a cool guy, and be like, yeah, we should back out of supporting Ukraine. That's what this is. This is... This is Tucker Carlson platforming this piece of shit, like literally platforming him. He's giving he's giving this voice to Americans, this type of slack jawed morons who support freaking Tucker Carlson are going to see this and think, yeah, <sighs> so this it is bad. It's a bad thing that Tucker has done here. This this interview is full of distortions. However, they made the wrong decision, and now we have to look for a way out of the situation to correct their mistakes. They did it, so let them correct it themselves. We support this. So I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I don't think that I am. I think you're saying you want a negotiated settlement to what's happening in Ukraine. Now I am convinced the voice we're hearing from Putin was recorded in another, was recorded outside of this event. Because <laughs> damn that, damn that echo. <laughs> right. And we made it. We prepared a huge document in Istanbul that was initialed by the head of the Ukrainian delegation. He affixed his signature to some of the provisions, not to all of it. He put his signature and then he himself said, we were ready to sign it and the war would have been over long ago, 18 months ago. However, Prime Minister Johnson came, talked us out of it, and we missed that chance. Well, you missed it, you made a mistake, let them get back to that, that is all. Why do we have to bother ourselves and correct somebody else? Why does it matter to America that Boris Johnson did this? That it has no effect on us, nor our support, nor non-support. Not saying Boris Johnson should have done that. I'm just saying we're Americans. We don't. We don't. We're not Boris Johnson. Else's mistakes. 
I know one can say it is our mistake. It was us who intensified the situation and decided to put an end to the war that started in 2014 in Donbass, as I have already said, by means of weapons. Let me get back to furthering history. I already told you this. We were just discussing it. Let us go back to 1991, when we were promised that NATO would not expand, to 2008, when the doors to NATO opened to the declaration of state sovereignty of Ukraine, declaring Ukraine a neutral state. Let us go back to the fact that NATO and U.S. military bases started to appear on the territory of Ukraine, creating threats to us. Let us go back to coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014. It is pointless though, isn't it? We make I, you see, does it bother you, does it bother you people who are against supporting Ukraine that all of your talking points line up with the Russian state. Like, there are reasons. It's fair to question your own country. It is fair to question the state. But if all your talking points sound, sound like the guy who's just literally on the opposite side, and that guy is the state of that, like, what makes you think that Russia's state is not as corrupt as America's state? What makes you think they're more honest? Every anti-Ukraine talking point are the exact same ones that he is saying. They go back and forth endlessly, but they stop negotiations. Is it a mistake? Yes. Correct it. We are ready. What else is needed? Do you think it's too humiliating at this point for NATO to accept Russian control of what was two years ago Ukrainian territory? cares why should russia get part of ukraine's land and why should they be able to take it via force which is what this is i said uh, let them think how to do it with dignity there are options if there is a will up until now, there has been the uproar and screaming about inflicting a strategic defeat on Russia on the battlefield. Now they are apparently coming to realize that it is difficult to achieve, if possible at all. In my opinion, it is impossible by definition. It is never going to happen. That is not how definitions work, Putin. It seems to me that now, those who are in power in the West have come to realize this as well. If so, if the realization has set in, they have to think what to do next. What makes him think that? I'd like him to support that argument. We're ready for this dialogue. Would you be willing to say, congratulations, NATO, you won, and just keep the situation where it is now? You know, it is a subject matter for the negotiations. No one is willing to. Basically, are you willing to be the one who ends this war? Are you willing to be the one that concedes and just ceases?
violent conflict. To conduct, or to put it more accurately, they are willing, but do not know how to do it. I know they want it. It is not just I see it, but I know they do want it. But they are struggling to understand. How? How do you know it? And how to do it. They have driven the situation to the point where we are at. It is not us who have done that. It is our partners, opponents, who have done that. Well, now let them think how to reverse the situation. We're not against it. It would be funny if it were not so sad. This endless mobilization in Ukraine, the hysteria, the domestic problems, sooner or later it will result in agreement. You know, this probably sounds strange given the current situation. But the relations between the two peoples will be rebuilt anyway. It will take a lot of time, but they will heal. I'll give you very unusual. It takes a long time, man. America still isn't over the civil war. Examples. There is a combat encounter on the battlefield. Here's a specific example. Ukrainian soldiers got encircled. This is an example from real life. Our soldiers were shouting to them, there is no chance, surrender yourselves, come out and you will be alive. Suddenly, the Ukrainian soldiers were screaming from there in Russian, perfect Russian, saying, Russians do not surrender, and all of them perished. They still identify themselves as Russian. What do, you, what do you think the purpose of this story is, Putin? You literally just describe people who describe themselves as Russians willing to die fighting you off. What do you think this means? It means they probably don't want to be part of your country. Possibly because you run it. What is happening is, to a certain extent, an element of a civil war. Everyone in the West thinks that the Russian people have been split by hostilities forever. No, they will be reunited. The unity is still there. Why are the Ukrainian authorities dismantling the Ukrainian Orthodox Church? Because it brings together not only the territory, it brings together our souls. No one will be able to separate the soul. Shall we end here or is there anything else? No, I think that's great. Thank you, Mr. President.
yeah, no. Um, to summarize, uh, Putin is a slimy state propagandist um, invoking all the signs of nationalism and uh, objectively not giving the full view of history, but the view of history that benefits him and his arguments. Yeah, Putin doesn't. Putin is not someone I would ever want to live in a country he controlled or ran. Putin is a clear Christian nationalist, willing to overlook and even bend history around Russia's the Russian state's abuse of religious people and groups. So yeah, Tucker Carlson. Slimy Weasley dude. Um, I did not appreciate the way that he would... There were several moments where it really felt like he admired or was possibly even sucking up to Putin. Um, there were a few moments where he actually did ask journalisty questions and questions that I would have asked Putin if I were in the room with him. Uh, I was surprised that he did not go into the culture wars concept um he kept it focused on ukraine uh which on the one hand kind of relieved he didn't go into the culture war thing although in fairness more more my lane type of thing for me to debunk or or break apart or analyze so i i would have personally benefited from that but like also it's exasperating this is apparently, by the way, episode 73, 73 of his show on X. I mean, Twitter, formerly X, the site formerly known as Twitter. Honestly, the Christian nationalist stuff is very alarming. Putin was about what I would have expected. I was hoping that they, I had heard rumors that there was a more confrontative part between them. Uh, although I didn't see that in this in this interview so much, although there were a few moments where it seemed like Putin didn't entirely take Tucker Carlson seriously. But I think Putin understands that this is a good way for him to reach the American audience so that he can feed Americans the Russian state talking points, uh, especially since, you know, most Western countries stopped airing Russia today which was specifically a Russian branch of essentially propaganda designed to uh, spread Russian influence in Western countries. From the sound of it, for Putin, the Cold War never really ended. From the sound of things, he expected a lot more from the West in being sort of allies with us. I don't know if his expectations were realistic, and I don't under, and I don't know necessarily how much of what he's saying is based more on what's convenient for his narrative, because Putin is spinning a narrative, and you have to understand that when when thinking about the stuff that he is saying, he is not giving the full side of the he's not giving the full Ukrainian side of this story. He is deliberately leaving out key points from history such as why and how the Polish were persecuting the Ukrainians. Specifically, the things the Ukrainians wanted from the Poles was to be recognized as Ukrainians. And once again, the one time he alluded to 
he the couple times he alluded to the mistakes of Lenin separating these autonomous states. That's really what he's upset about. That's really what he's talking about, which is how do I rebuild the Russian Empire? And one gets the impression that he would be that he will actually be more authoritarian if given the chance than Lenin. I don't know if he's bad as Stalin, but I also wouldn't be surprised. All right, if you if you are hearing this part of the podcast right now, then I applaud you. Whoo! Hats off. I appreciate your loyalty. You are the bomb in a positive way, not the type that, not in the way that uh, maybe. Maybe my use of the word bomb was insensitive in context, considering, you know, the bombings uh, that Putin does on Ukraine. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, please, uh, please follow on Spotify and like and subscribe on YouTube, uh, where you can also leave comments uh, about how much you disagree with me, or maybe about... Anything interesting that the translators left out of this Russian comment, if you knew, if you know any Russian, please don't just pretend to know Russian. Uh, if you want to email, the, if you want to contact the show, you can email me at rubenuncut at gmail.com. All right. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and sticking with it. Have a wonderful whatever, whenever, wherever you are.